Welcome to another episode of Splice, Splice Together. together. <laughs> you say the alternate sim- syllables. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Harper. Well, believe it or not, I I got a flamethrower and my tool shit. And I'm Michelle. When I kill that guy, you got 30 feet to get to that guy. Can you do it? I have to. In this episode, we're going to be doing the second part of our discussion about Quentin Tarantino's movies. And for our mini segment, we're going to continue to talk about Quentin Tarantino movies. And I don't think I mentioned, this is episode number 13, which is Jason Voorhees' favorite day of the month. Yay! Happy birthday. (laughs) Uh, So just really quick, I just wanted to say it'd be weird if we put an episode out without talking about what's going on, at least just mentioning it. So obviously right now we're in quarantine. We're well, working. we're not sick. We're not sick, but, you know, we're in self-isolation. Yeah, it's the better term, I <laughs> yeah. suppose. So Michelle's working from home. I'm continuing to work from home like I was. Yeah, anyways. nothing has changed for you. Nothing has just changed for me uh, right now, anyways. You wouldn't even know anything's going on. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so anyways, I just wanted to mention, you know, I hope everybody out there that's listening is doing well and is safe and healthy and is staying indoors and listening to, to our very, very long podcast yeah, so that just, we have recorded. <laughs> so, yeah, we hope you guys are all bored because this one's going to be a long one, yeah. I'm sure. And just like the last Tarantino one. <laughs> just like the last time. <laughs> just like the last time. Uh, so, um, anyway, so, yeah, we'll just, we'll go ahead and hop right into it. So, uh, we left off, we did the first five movies last time. So, we did uh, Reservoir Dogs, Pulp Fiction, Jackie Brown, Kill Bill 1, Kill Bill 2. So, now we're doing... The last five movies. So that's uh, Death Proof, uh, Inglorious Bastards, Django Unchained, Hateful Eight, and Once, Once Upon a Time, Upon in, Time Hollywood. in Hollywood. So um, let's go ahead and jump into it. So first one is Death Proof, which is from 2007. Um, so I wrote, uh, for the, the ones that I kind of took, I, did, I wrote like a little intro. So um, three years after the release of his two-part epic Kill Bill, Tarantino returned with something a little less serious a double feature sorry this is like Hold on. <laughs> a double feature grindhouse tribute with his longtime friend robert rodriguez while planet terror plays a as a more modern take on a classic b movie death proof aims to be the real mccoy complete with weird cuts a strange narrative structure unresolved plot points and a villain who cartoonishly changes his personalities on a dime <laughs> while this might frustrate some viewers it is perhaps the most authentic and loving tribute to grindhouse movies tarantino could have possibly made so that that's like my very quick intro slash how i feel about this movie oh apparently you're in love with it i am (laughs) i have a funny uh relationship with this movie because the first time i when we saw grindhouse in theaters which is like a whole day that was a cool experience in itself i remember walking away being like man planet terror was so much fun i don't really get death proof (laughs) yeah i didn't really like it when we saw it as part of grindhouse and i think i think it took somebody mentioned like when i was talking about with somebody not that long after it, but you know, the reason it's so weird. Cause I think what I didn't like about it is that it was like, Oh, it feels like two separate movies. And like, uh, and, and stuntman Mike seems like a totally different character in the second half of the movie. And especially at the end. And, um, and I think, and somebody pointed out that like, that's how these B movies were like, they're, yeah. you know, it's all about like the stunt, the action, the, the murder, not about the, you know, the characterizations are not that important. And I think it doesn't help that seeing it with Planet Terror, Planet Terror is very enjoyable and campy and the mistakes, like there's chunks of the movie missing on purpose. So watching Death Proof with that, which is way more serious and like dark, I guess. Yeah, well, and it's a much longer buildup. Like 
to me, I think Planet, like, like I said in the intro, I think Planet Terror is like the way people think about B movies now. Yeah. Like it's it's almost like Sharknado. Kind of, it's better than that kind of stuff, but it's kind of in that same vein, like bad on purpose. Whereas Death Proof is like very authentic to what a B movie was in the seventies, a Grindhouse movie. Yeah. Also, um, just a little tidbit: I was working in the movie theater, which still had film and. For Grindhouse, we were totally worried that it wouldn't even fit on the platter because it's like three and a half hours or more. So it's like oh, yeah. a bunch of film. To, it like was probably like an inch away from the edge. Wow, that's funny. <laughs> I didn't even think about that. Yeah. yeah. Grindhouse is, I think, altogether, it's like four hours long or maybe even maybe. more <laughs> with all the trailers and stuff. Um, so I've got some trivia about the movie. Um, so obviously, get this one out of the way. Zoe Bell, who stars in the second half, was Uma Thurman's stunt double in Kill Bill. Duh. And obviously, <laughs> I mean that's obvious to anybody now, as Tarantino fan now, especially because she shows up in everything of his. But um, it's also obviously awesome that she did all of her own stunts in this movie. Yeah, it's all the real deal. Um, in an interview, Quentin Tarantino said that the version of Down in Mexico that's heard in Death Proof, which I don't remember where that's played in the movie, it's one of the ones that plays on the jukebox in the first half is probably the most rare recording he has in his whole music collection. Uh, it says that when he was working at a stag theater in his teens, he showed the record to the projectionist, who was another record collector, who pointed out that the words newly recorded were on the label. And after that, it became one of his favorite songs because of that, because it was like a super rare recording. So it's kind of neat. It's a pretty good song. Yeah, this movie's got great music, which we will talk about. Oh, you don't want to talk about it now? We can, sure. I mean, I'm like... <laughs> like Barely into the trailer. I know it was about okay. songs, music. <laughs> uh, we can if you want, sure. What's your favorite song in this movie? Um, Hold Tight by Dave D, Dozy, Beaky, Mick, and Tick. <laughs> is that what it is? Tish. <laughs> Tish. <laughs> How does that one go? Hold tight. Da da da. Da da da. Yeah. Da, da. I mostly remember that badass <laughs> beginning that's like boom, boom, boom. Yeah. It's really cool. That's probably my favorite. yeah that's a great one this is like probably of all the movies all his movies this is the one i had the hardest time picking my favorite song yeah there's a lot of good songs i i had to go between two uh and that's chick habit which i think is the end yeah, credit that song my right second one, that song's probably. awesome sing it Hey, Mr. Tick Um, and then the other one that I really like is that it's called Riot in Thunder Alley by Eddie Baram, which is the one that's like, it's, it's the main part of the stunt at the end. It's like 
it starts with like the guitar and then it's a drum solo the whole time. It's just like the crazy drums while she's I don't know doing. If I remember it. Well, you'll play it in the episode. You'll you know it. You'll it know. It goes a little something bah, like bah, this. Bah. <laughs> and then it's like it's just drums for like ninety percent of it. It's great. Um, yeah. So some other uh, trivia. Uh, the film was physically scratched instead of using a digital effect, which I think is cool. How dangerous. Yeah. Like, what if well, you scratched over their well, face? Well, I'm sure they didn't, like, scratch, like, <laughs> the only copy. Also, that would take forever. <laughs> Agreed. Yeah, that's a, that's a pretty serious thing. I remember when we saw um, Mandy, we wondered if it was, like, real film grain or not. And it's not. It mm. can You can do it really convincingly now. Yeah. But, like, so I was pretty impressive that they scratched it themselves for this. Um. The name and concept for the movie came from when Tarantino was having a drunken hotel night with Sean Penn. <laughs> it said Tarantino. Who has he not had a yeah, drunken night with? <laughs> so Tarantino wanted to buy a Volvo because he, quote, didn't want to die in some auto accident like the one in Pulp Fiction. In regards to the safety of the car, Sean Penn said, well, you could take any car and give it to a stunt team and for ten dollars or $15,000, they can death proof it for you. Oh, my God. Why so, does Sean Penn know that? Yeah, isn't that weird? So, <laughs> I thought he was supposed to be in Haiti. <laughs> yeah, them. really. So Tarantino liked that phrase and it kind of stuck in his head, I guess. Um, the This is all over the trivia, but the jukebox that's in the movie is Tarantino's yeah. own jukebox. It's nicknamed Amy, A-M-I. <laughs> um, and it's also in the opening scene of Natural Born Killers. Hmm. Oh, yeah. I think I remember that. Yeah. Um, when we saw Natural Born Killers, I was like, isn't that the jukebox from Death Proof? <laughs> oh, I love that jukebox. <laughs> um, Jack Burton from Big Trouble in Little China. His tank top is hanging up in the bar. I wonder why. It's pretty <laughs> Where cool. Where did they get that from? <laughs> That's a pretty, pretty neat touch. I don't think I had noticed before we watched it this time. Um, I like the, the original title for this movie that's shown like before there's like the place yeah. card title of it is quentin tarantino's thunderbolt <laughs> before it, it, the little thing pops that this is death proof um the last piece of trivia nearly all, all the cards in the movie are the same models as the one used from famous car chases so they come from bullet uh gone in 60 seconds and then obviously the one they talk about is vanishing point yeah so that's kind of cool. All the cars that are used. Did you know, I didn't write this down because I don't care about cars and I wouldn't mean anything to <laughs> me, but car? <laughs> it did. There was some piece of trivia that I made me realize. I didn't even notice that it was two different cars that Stuntman Mike drives between the first and second. Well, half. I asked, I remember asking you during it, like, how do you get his car fixed so fast or whatever? And I was probably like, I don't know. Who cares? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like it's death proof. What does it matter? Yeah. <laughs> Um, I've got some interesting connections between other Quentin movies. So more, more than I thought there would be, cause I didn't think there were any in this movie. Um, uh, but the main connection, there's a ton of songs when they scroll down on the jukebox, a lot of the songs that, that Tarantino hand wrote all those, by the way, apparently mm -hmm. himself, all the song title, a lot of the song titles are from other movies. Like, um, you can never, you never can tell by Chuck Berry and from Pulp Fiction and then a bunch of ones oh, from yeah. Reservoir Dogs and Jackie Brown and stuff are on there too, which is neat. Um, Michael Parks and his son, James Parks, play father and son sheriffs, Earl and Edgar McGraw, the exact same characters they play in Kill Bill and yeah. the first two from Death Till Dawn movies. <laughs> so weird. I thought that was weird, too. Um, yeah. I was like, isn't that... Aren't they the same I characters? Think he just likes like, it. Yeah, he loves those actors and those characters so much. He just keeps using them over and over again. Once you get in with QT, you're and I want to say I might be wrong about this. I didn't write this down, but I want to say they're also in Planet Terror. <laughs> I, they might be. I think I they think are. They do show up in the bar. Um, 
Uh, according to Tarantino Universe aficionados, this is the third appearance of Jungle Julia. The first was Unruly Julie in My Best Friend's Birthday, which was that one mm. that he made uh, with his friends that most of the movies lost at this point. Um, and then uh, the second time is in oh uh, in Natural Born Killers, Wayne Gale's assistant is named. I don't know if I don't know if it's Jungle Julia or Julia something else, but so people think it's the same character between those three. Um. One of the girls' ringtones is Twisted Nerve from Kill Bill. You know. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, and then last one, uh, in the beginning, oh, there's a bunch of, like, product stuff. So one of the girls is drinking from an Akuna Boys cup, which we mentioned before. Akuna Boys are the gang. Are those Akuna Brothers? It's Akuna Boys because oh. it's the gang gang of uh, the, uh, I don't remember his name now, the guy in Kill Bill, Bill's, like, quote-unquote father. That's his gang is the Akuna Boys. Hmm. Um. And then they mentioned Big Kahuna Burger and Red Apple cigarettes, of course. I know. I'm going to get really tired of talking about Red Apple by the end of this podcast. (laughs) We're not talking about it anymore. (laughs) Just assume every single movie has a reference to every other movie (laughs) that he has ever made. (laughs) So um, we talked about favorite song. What about favorite scenes? So I couldn't choose. So I have to. I think I like the car stunt scene the most at the end but it's like yeah of course 15 20 minutes but i was gonna say specifically i also love kurt russell scream crying in well his that's car. part of it i know it's all a part of it yeah i mean i i, I put that's exactly what i put i put the entire stunt like, scene <laughs> i put the entire stunt scene but then i put more specifically when stuntman mike turns into a big baby after yeah he gets shot. it's awesome he reaches for the seatbelt and he's like <laughs> and then he gets beat up and he's like come on oh, <laughs> oh don't move me don't move me yeah. <laughs> i think it's from yeah. he's just constantly yeah. screaming it is the best it is one of the best things in any tarantino movie. yeah and i think like since we're talking about that for me it does the movie does feel like it's split up into two parts and i do like the second half more yes but i don't really know I guess it just works better, and I like the group of girls more. I don't know. Well, I the more I've, I've thought about it, I like both parts because I definitely like the second part better, for sure. The second part is a masterpiece. But yeah. uh, I like it because it's basically like you get the concept of a stuntman who has a death-proof car who kills women, and you get basically two movies of yeah. that killer. It's almost like you get the original and the sequel. The first yeah. one's all the build-up to that one kill. And it's very... Uh, that now that you say that it does feel like a prequel and a sequel yeah. almost because like the beginning it's like this is how he selects people he stalks them he does this but why does he do this we don't know yeah <laughs> and then it's like oh it's a new younger crowd or whatever well they're probably the same age and right know. well then we get the second they're more modern who are way more capable and yeah. like physically capable and they're like stunt team and yeah. <laughs> you know so you know they've got a lot more they're they're a little more ready for him yeah but yeah just i mean obviously we didn't talk about it specifically but i mean the end the whole last 20 30 minutes the stunt is unreal like one of the best stunts Although, in any movie ever it's pretty awesome stunt in the first half with uh, the tire running over her face. Yeah, not a real. I'm sure that's not. I know it's not real. real. It's an awesome effect. It's a yeah. great kill. That part is the best part of that, that half. If also, you... we didn't see the extended version. Apparently. Yeah, I'm really mad about that. Um, I know we we've seen it before. It, I guess the movie we bought it didn't have the extended. Yeah, yet. we've got them separate. Like not. Or no, we have them together. Is what it is. We have yeah. Grindhouse, not the individual individual ones, but 
Yeah, this had like, you know, when she does the lap dance, it's like, it's like real missing or whatever. Lap dance. Yeah. yeah, so I wonder, <laughs> it makes me mad. I wonder what else we missed. But yeah. this is a movie, like, after we watched it this time, I was like, I want to rewatch this right now. Like, <laughs> I was ready to watch it again because the. Yeah, I it's think so going back and revisiting it and watching it as its own movie is definitely makes it better yeah more enjoyable i i feel like i like death proof more every time i watch it yeah it's definitely gone you up. see more you catch on to things quicker yeah, yeah for sure <laughs> you notice little things like that's the jukebox from so and <laughs> whatever <laughs> uh i guess we should mention for people who haven't seen it what that stunt actually is i'm talking to you mom <laughs> when you're listening to this calling her out <laughs> so the stunt that we've been talking about this whole time is they call it uh what do they call it? Uh, some ship's mast, right? Yeah. So basically, Zoe Bell gets on the hood of a car. She ties belts to the door frames on her left and right, and then she's standing on the hood of the car, uh, holding the belts while they're going like seventy-five miles an hour on this country yeah. road and, and around then big Kurt curves and stuff. Russell's character tries to drive them off the road while she's on the hood. <laughs> right, and it all looks and presumably is 100% real. I don't know how they I'm did it. I'm assuming it is. They probably did it like 15 miles per hour. Yeah, I'm sure it's slower like than wind, it looks. wind tunnels or something. It feels, every time I watch it, it feels incredibly dangerous. Yeah. Like, how do they get away with doing this? How do they ensure this movie? <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm pretty sure Quentin Tarantino is good at convincing all of his actresses to do whatever he wants because I have some trivia in the next movie. We're oh, really? Talk okay. About. Well, yeah. I mean, there is that too. But like in this, I know Zoe Bell like fought him to be able to do all her own stunts. Like yeah, he was going to have a stunt her. person do hers. And she was like, if somebody else was the actor, I would be doing all these stunts. Yeah. So why shouldn't I just do them? So, yeah. So, uh, what do you think uh, this movie does better than his others? I think this movie has the best action of any of his movies. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Breathless, exciting action is what yeah. I wrote. He really goes for car action versus like murder action. <laughs> right. I mean, like Kill Bill obviously is a different kind of action, more like fight scenes yeah. and choreography and stuff. But this in terms of just like straight car chase action, there's nothing that beats it in his filmography for sure. Definitely. So, yeah, that's Death Proof from 2007. All right, so next up, we're going to be talking about Inglorious Bastards. Yeah. Emphasis on the T-E-R-D-S, turds. <laughs> <laughs> um, so this came out in 2009, and it's about a Nazi-occupied France during World War II, a plan to assassinate Nazi leaders by a group of Jewish U.S. soldiers coincides with a theater owner's vengeful plans for the same. Um, and it's starring Brad Pitt, Melanie Laurent, Chris Christoph Waltz, Michael Fassbender, Diane Kruger, and a bunch of other people who are like, oh, it's that dude from The Office. and Like Mike Myers? Yeah, Mike Myers, BJ Novak. <laughs> the usual. Yeah. Um. So, yeah. What do you think? <laughs> I love Inglorious Bastards. Yeah, me too. <laughs> um, spoilers, this might be the top of my list of Tarantino movies. It could be mine too. So while we're, mm, what do you think this movie does the best? <laughs> uh, the, the suspense. Oh my God. Yeah. I would just put, it, he does the best of everything in this movie. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's a lot of really great things in this movie, but to me, there's like three, I think I'm thinking, okay, there's the opening scene in the yeah. house, in the farm. There's the wait for the cream scene. <laughs> There's the um, uh, the scene in the bar in the basement. All, and all three of those. I mean, there are other ones too, but those three are like the most suspenseful scenes I've seen in any movie ever. All three of them Definitely. are like an absolute masterclass in how to build 
terrifying suspense. I also think the cinematography is great in this movie. Mm -hmm. And this is like where the production design goes, starts going off the walls (laughs) with accuracy and just great use of like color and everything. Although when you deal with Nazis, you're going to have good like graphic design elements anyway. (laughs) That is is one thing they were very good at. (laughs) Sadly. Yeah. Um, So some trivia for this movie. Uh, Lay it on me. Okay. I got, I pared it down a little bit, but okay. So Tarantino worked on this script for almost a decade. Wow. And it almost didn't happen multiple times because he was very picky about who he wanted to play and couldn't find the right people. Can can I, well, I want to ask you a question related to that. Do you remember, this was maybe the first Tarantino, one of the first Tarantino movies that I was like aware of him. Yeah. I mean, Death Proof probably was the first one when I was like a fan and went in that way. But this is a movie I was like, following in the news before it came out yeah and do you remember all the rumors about like what it was going to be about and who was going to be in it and stuff no the main one i remember was that this was going to be about christopher walken's character from pulp fiction and or no well he he got the watch in vietnam or korea i think i can't remember but it was going to be somehow related to to the, their family to bruce willis's family and the watch the watch was going to be heavily involved yeah and i remember originally like I want to say it was like Chris Rock or Chris Tucker was one of the, was one of the main people. Oh no, it was Eddie Murphy. Eddie oh. Murphy was going to be, it was like, they, I remember reading that very specifically and being like, what? Cause at the so time he was like, cause at is. the time he was the last time I'd seen him was like flubber or something. And I was yeah. like, are you serious? Um, so yeah, I just remember there were tons of rumors and nobody knew what this movie was going to be exactly about. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, well, I do remember like bringing it up, like I think *Inglorious Bastards* coming out, and you being like, "Whatever." He's been trying to make that movie for ten years. Uh, well, that's funny because <laughs> it's it not wasn't happening. It wasn't that long of a break between this and *Death Proof*, but maybe maybe he had been working on it already. I think we he already been knew working about on it, it for a long that. time. Yeah. yeah. But anyways, go ahead. Um. So Christoph Waltz is the first actor in a Quentin Tarantino film to ever win an Oscar for. Really? Any of the roles. There have been a lot of people nominated, I think, before, but... Yeah, it's hmm. this movie is also the most nominated film with eight nominations. I was trying to remember if Once Upon a Time, I think they only had, like, two or three. Yeah, I don't know. No, it had more than that, because it got a lot of the, like, production design and costume, yeah. and, but anyways. Or what about Hateful Eight? I yeah. don't remember when this trivia was... <laughs> <laughs> That's a good written. question. Yeah. But no, um, I think you're probably right. I'll bet this had the most. Yeah, and then Melanie Melanie Laurent, who plays Shoshana, mm-hmm. she prepped for her role as a film projectionist, and her final test was to screen Reservoir Dogs for Quentin Tarantino. I think it was at his theater, like, of course. Tarantino, I'm, he's such a douche. But yeah, it's like, I was thinking back, like, all she ever does is, like, start the projectors. Like, they didn't even have her, like, threading it or anything. Like, that's, that's a bit... Maybe there's, like, extended scenes where she, like, makes the movie. and Well, I guess she splices it together. and ah, Splice together! Splice together! <laughs> it's the word of the day! Yeah. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, yeah. And then... Harley just jumped on the table in the middle of our podcasting She's setup. Get out of here. Bags. Get out. I don't care. <laughs> okay, go ahead. All right. Mm. <laughs> Harley's talking into the mic. Harley, what did you think? <laughs> Not impressed. Heavy breathing. Not enough cats. All right, go ahead. All right, so Clint Tarantino does have a cameo in this film. But you wouldn't, it's uh, another voice one. Oh, who is he in this one? So in Nation's Pride, which is like the 
the um, Nazi movie that they're screening for right. the Nazis. The propaganda. He is an American soldier who says, I implore you, we must destroy that tower. <laughs> really? Yeah. I, I didn't even, I don't think I knew that. And then he also, um, the first German to be scalped is a Quentin Tarantino dummy. <laughs> so I'm okay funny. with that. <laughs> <laughs> I like when Tarantino gets murdered in yeah. brutal ways in his own movies. And then also, I didn't know this, but Eli Roth and his brother Gabriel, they actually directed the Nation's Pride short within oh, the film. I didn't know that. That's kind of And they cool. didn't film it like real. They kind of filmed it in chunks. Yeah. And then Quentin Tarantino ended up liking it so much. They did like 130 scenes or shots or something wow. in two days. And he let them do the third day where it has like the close-ups of, um, what's his name? Like Daniel, Daniel Brule. Brule, yeah. That's cool. Um, I didn't know that. Yeah. And then... Sorry, I got some trivia mixed up with connections. Uh, instead of Quentin Tarantino's trunk trademark shot, mm -hmm. he changes it out for the Nazi scalp uh, POV. Yeah, yeah, the <laughs> so last shot in the it, movie. Yeah. <laughs> um. So the body count for this film is pretty oh, high. Man. You want to take a guess? Well, is, <laughs> is it counting the stuff inside Nation's Pride also? I think so. Oh, it's got to be in the hundreds then, right? Definitely. <laughs> it's got to be more than Kill Bill, probably, even. It's 301. Yeah. I mean, because Nation's Pride alone is like 100, <laughs> yeah. right? Yeah. And then the, everyone and in the every theater, single person in the that's theater probably dies. another 100 or 200. I mean, pretty, almost every character in this movie dies, except for like two or three yeah. of the leads, of the, of the like 12 leads. Oh, yeah. Apparently, like Eli Roth and the um, other guy, when the movie theater is burning, they yeah. almost died for real. Oh, really? Because the theater, like, it the stunt or whatever actually caught on fire and the roof was going to cave in, but they had like, they didn't want to cut. Like the flames oh, wow. were so hot. They were like <laughs> getting burned. Jeez. Um, I didn't know that. So yeah, the fire marshal over was like, if you had kept rolling for 15 more minutes, all of you would have died. Jesus. <laughs> and apparently Quentin Tarantino was in like a fireproof suit, like filming <laughs> on a crane or whatever. Gotta love him. Yeah. Um, and then this, Trivia. Oh my God. This like made me feel weird. <laughs> Go on. So Diane Kruger, she plays the like German spy actress. actress yeah, the um, double agent. Who, spoiler, gets uh, choked to death by Christoph Waltz's character. Mm. Um, and this was real. And Quentin She's dead? <laughs> she went <laughs> unconscious <laughs> because Quentin Tarantino decided he wanted to do it. Oh, I think so I it's his hands that you see choking her and he's like, Okay, I'm gonna choke you for real. Like and so they, she was like, Okay. <laughs> Is that the shot that was used? <laughs> yeah, they only did it once because she Jesus. passed out. Yeah, like, no wonder oh it God. <laughs> it looks very real. Yeah, looks she turns awful. red and it looks horrible. Eyes, yeah. Wow. Awful. <laughs> yeah, that's 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 a little bit uh, below questioning. Yeah, so that's what I was referencing before. I, mean. I was like, yeah. <laughs> that's pretty bad. When he always convinces people to do this stuff. <laughs> yeah, one well, to be the one personally doing it. That's a little. Yeah. Uh, well, I don't know if it was Christoph Waltz didn't want to do it, or if he didn't trust him to do it, or hmm. something. So yeah, he's like, I'll choke you to death. Yikes! <laughs> so we we so we yeah. know he's he got a thing about feet. And he's got a thing about choking. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Yikes. I don't want to date Tarantino. Yeah. Um, 
And so then the only other things I have a couple movie connections. I didn't want to go too far into them because it, like we're here to I talk bet, about the movie. I bet there's yeah. a lot for this one, yeah. Um, so I made up this one, but Brad Pitt's character is referred to as an Italian stuntman during the movie theater scene. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, okay, once upon a time, he becomes a stuntman. Yeah. Um, and then this one's actually confirmed. Lee Donowitz in True Romance. He's like the producer guy trying to buy all the drugs. Oh, right. He is uh the bear Jew's father or the bear Jew is his father. Oh wow. Donnie no Donowitz. <laughs> no way. That's yeah. pretty cool actually cuz he talks about his father or he talks about, you know, war and he's yeah. like, making a making war movies. Wow, that's really interesting. I didn't know that one. And then this one I don't think is real <coughs> um Aldo Rain who plays Brad Pitt. Somebody wrote <laughs> that he's Brad the Pitt. great grandfather oh yeah he plays brad pitt he is brad pitt he is um floyd from true romance's great grand grandfather well, just because it's brad pitt but I, yeah like I, there's nothing really confirming that yeah, I don't know about so that yeah that's all Ronaldo i got rain yeah um so yeah that's all the trivia and connections um so this movie also has some awesome songs yeah, it does have great Like music. all of his movies. Yeah. <laughs> so this is the first movie where, uh, I can never say his name, Morricone. Morricone? Yeah. First movie he worked with with him. Hmm. Right? Uh, I didn't know that. I mean, he, I mean he's got Morricone music in like almost every movie. I thought Hateful Eight was the first time he actually worked with him. I think this is what he, um, the first time he worked together and then Hateful Eight well he swore after this movie he didn't want to work with Quentin Tarantino hmm. and then he did Hateful Eight with him interesting um yeah I think it has original music that he made that. I think that was actually one of the trivia that this is one of the few films where it is mostly original and not relying relying on soundtracks are you sure because I have that exact piece of trivia about Hateful Eight maybe and I'm confusing the two yeah, I, don't know. <laughs> I thought this was mostly stuff from other movies uh well what's your favorite song well, this one is pretty. There's only like one major like pop song in this one re- that I can think of, and it's the David Bowie song. Yeah, that's a good one. I did. I didn't know. I thought this was. An, I had no idea that it's a David Bowie song written specifically for the Cat People remake. Yeah. <laughs> Which is weird. What a strange thing to be pulling from, but that's Tarantino's thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Cat People, also known as Putting Out the Fire. So I picked Un Amico by Ennio Morricone. It's not a pop song. How's that one go? I'm trying to remember. It's during the projection booth scene when, um, uh, what's his name? She, Shoshana's character, shoots. Daniel. Oh, when he comes up and locks himself in the room with her? Yeah. yeah. It's the song that plays during that. Okay, I don't remember that It one. goes like this. <laughs> um, yeah. 
Uh, I actually couldn't pick a favorite scene for this movie. <laughs> mm, yeah, I had a really hard any? time. <laughs> yeah, I, had, I I couldn't pick a favorite one, so I just went with one of the great ones, which is the uh-uh. Yeah. Wait for the I, <laughs> I tried really hard to find what song was playing during that because it's so, like, loud and absurd, and then I couldn't, I listened to the sound, like, score the whole time, day yesterday, and I couldn't figure hmm. it out. So I don't know if it's just like a sound bit. When he comes up behind her. <laughs> yeah, and it's like, yeah. pop, pop. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> yeah, that scene is incredible. I think that probably is my favorite scene only because you get like an awesome quote and because it's so tense. And yeah. it's like, as soon as he leaves, she's like, <gasps> yeah, like she's, dying and which crying. Which is exactly how we're all yeah. feeling, too. It's like, oh my well, God. Well, I think, <laughs> and, and you've seen it more recently than me, but I feel like that's the first time you realize that Christoph Waltz is coming back, that his character has yeah. returned. Like, he, you haven't seen him since the beginning of the movie, and then all of a sudden he shows up again. Yeah. And yeah, we know how awful he is. Yeah. Well, I guess I also like the projection booth scene where this my favorite song plays over it, too, because... It's kind of like for half a second, sh the character feels bad that she's kind of murdered him mm -hmm. um, because up to that point, he's always just like, oh, like, I want to date you. You're awesome. Blah, blah, right. blah. But then like it swat like switches so quickly when he's actually not dead. Yeah. And like you see like, oh, he's a Nazi. Yeah. He's a Nazi Don't bastard. Forget, he's yeah. a Nazi. <laughs> he's evil. And yeah, an incel. <laughs> well, you know what? I surprised you didn't choose for your favorite scene the thing you've been quoting from this movie constantly oh since my god i it, forgot <laughs> which is what um there's a scene where eli roth and his uh, little partner is about to go kill hitler <laughs> mm -hmm. and he's like okay we have 30 feet to get from here to there can you do it he's like i have to do it <laughs> <laughs> so i've been quoting that <laughs> i have to do it <laughs> that is great yeah it's perfect <laughs> that's my new life motto <laughs> um yeah what else for glorious bastards <laughs> uh nothing i just it's it's amazing i remember seeing this movie this was right when i was i think in, i was in like my last couple weeks of college when this came out and i went and saw it and was like well that's it that's yeah. the best tarantino <laughs> movie he's ever made and I, I feel like around this time was one of the several times when tarantino claimed he would would not make another movie again <laughs> when does he always claim I that <laughs> um i feel like this is one and i remember thinking like well at least we got inglorious bastards yeah. like I'm, I'm happy with that because it's just it's fantastic I, I think i think it's his strongest movie because uh it's not only is it got a lot all the style and fun stuff that his other movies have but it also is extremely serious in a yeah. lot of cases. like jackie brown is more of the kind of like straight serious side of it like it's got funny stuff in it for sure but it's more like a straight crime movie and then something like death proof is more like a straight grindhouse goofball movie yeah this is some like the perfect balance in between i it feel has like the best of everything it does <laughs> and it's the first time which has become like the tarantino's new thing in his like late era tarantino which is revising history you know, yeah. in a really satisfying extremely satisfying yeah. way i'm trying to remember when we first saw it like what was our reaction like oh like he just changed history <laughs> I, I could totally be on backwards of, i like wrong about this but i feel like i remember people cheering and yelling and yeah, clapping when, when awesome. the theater caught on fire and, theater, <laughs> and when they show hitler's body getting shot until it's like little bitty pieces yeah it's so <laughs> it's, it's insane like, his it's face so over just the gets top pulverized. i love it <laughs> and then all the nazis just die and the war is over it's amazing <laughs> spoiler <laughs> yeah 
Um, but yeah, this is. I wish more people like your mom could watch this, but it is pretty it's violent. True. It's still. extremely violent. Yeah, but it's satisfying violence. Also, it has one of the best Michael Fassbender scenes too. I forgot about that. The bar, yeah, the bar in the basement. I I think I read that uh, in an interview, like a few years after this, he said people will just do the hand sign to him on if they see him on the street. The three, <laughs> yeah. three fingers? Wow. German three. <laughs> we do not say three like this. We yeah. say three <laughs> like this. And then the other thing I like is that this movie, it, he uses a lot of actors and actresses that actually can speak like German and Italian. That's and a great point. It's not just some English like... It's not flubbed. Chernobyl. Yeah. <laughs> like i'm gonna make it english because i want it the american right. audience to it's, it's not like chernobyl yeah. where i remember before i got really into show i remember thinking being really irritated that it was a movie about russians that had no russians in yeah. it. it was all british people whereas this there are lots of the actors and actresses are actually german speaking they can speak like 10 languages yeah, <laughs> yeah apparently he didn't know diane kruger was actually a german native he thought she was american so when she mm. auditioned he was like yeah but you'll never be able to pull off a german accent she like starts speaking german <laughs> i feel like this movie is maybe one of the earlier times when he really branched out to like a whole different group of actors too definitely like almost everybody in this movie are people who have not been in his movies before well i think that's because it went so international maybe so yeah like he needed but even to like, find people who even like fit brad, the role yeah, yeah but even like brad pitt and like yeah um uh, i mean crystal well crystal waltz was one of the international ones yeah but yeah i mean a huge chunk of the cast are people that had not been in his movies before which is not the case for most of his movies before this there yeah. was a lot of repeats um, oh i forgot uh with bj novak from yeah. the office so remember in the office when he says he goes to thailand with his friends mm -hmm. that was to film this oh really <laughs> yeah oh, that's, so that's funny. how they wrote him off in the show <laughs> oh that's great i didn't realize that that's really yeah. funny he's like i don't think bj novak will probably be in another quentin tarantino film <laughs> <laughs> my other favorite uh, last thing i'll say in glorious passage is that i like saying sauerkraut sandwich yeah. <laughs> anything that aldo rain says is fantastic yeah. too, but that's my favorite he's like if you ever want to eat a sauerkraut sandwich again you'll tell us where they are on this map also i didn't realize he's like snorting cocaine or something throughout the entire film <laughs> oh he's he got a little snort thingy yeah he has little... like this little box and i kept it's like he keeps using oh, snuff it box. Yeah. yeah and yeah. i was just like what i don't remember this <laughs> <laughs> no wonder he's like crazy for scalps <laughs> my... and as Tar as tarantino has uh has him say this might be my masterpiece. Yeah. <laughs> Agreed. So yeah. And Glorious Bastards, I recommend it to everybody. It's probably my favorite, but we'll we'll, we'll dive get, into that we'll later. To that later yeah. <laughs> okay, so our next film we're gonna talk about is the Django Unchained. The Django. <laughs> the Django. <laughs> I don't know what I just said. <laughs> da, 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 da. <laughs> the D is silent. <laughs> um so this came out in 2012 and for those of you who don't know, it is about uh, a German bounty hunter played by Christoph Waltz and a freed slave played by Jamie Foxx set out to rescue his wife played by Carrie Washington from a brutal Mississippi plantation owner played by Leonardo DiCaprio. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, so slavery in Quentin Tarantino. <laughs> That's a quote. That's a quote I think I want to reuse. So slavery. Yeah. Let's talk about slavery. Um, so yeah, I kind of already went through the main characters, but it also has Samuel Jackson, Samuel L. Jackson mm -hmm. and Walter Goggins. 
Groggins? Walton Goggins. Walton? Yeah. I put Walter. <laughs> His <laughs> evil brother, Walter. <laughs> this is the first time he showed up in, in Tarantino movie, I think. But not the last. Nope. Um, and let's see. This is a pretty long one. I think this is longer than Inglorious Bastards. This is two hours and 45 minutes. Mm. And it's also the first film that didn't use his uh, film editor, Sally. Sally Menke. Menke. She died yeah. in between these two. Yeah. So just let's see. Thinking about like when we saw this, I know my initial reaction was that I didn't like it as much because we came off in Glorious Bastion. Like nothing will ever beat this forever. Yes. And I think we had a bad movie experience. We definitely had a, ter- yeah. we had a terrible experience <laughs> where it, there, it was, we saw it's like around New Year's Eve, I think like around that yeah, time for sure. It, it was like the New Year's holiday. Christmas, yeah. And um, yeah, there was, uh, there were some other people in the theater who were like, I would say somebody was like coughing and sneezing or something and de- or snoring. And somebody Maybe. was definitely talking. Through, and lots like, of the people talking it was, through all of yeah, it. <laughs> it was very distracting. Um, yeah. But then recently we rewatched it and I actually liked it more the this time around i liked it a lot yeah the the second time we watched it watching it at home home alone without people talking yeah (laughs) um so some trivia uh for this movie jamie fox used his own horse named cheetah in the film (laughs) i didn't know jamie fox rode horses i (laughs) i thought i thought there was something about he didn't know how he got taught he owned a horse but he didn't actually know how to ride it or something oh maybe i didn't see that i thought he did know he got really good at riding him or maybe he didn't know how to do stunt writing maybe or so. something. something like that I don't yeah know. um christoph waltz is also in this film again and one of the uh things that he made quentin tarantino promise that he didn't want to be kind of like typecasted after inglorious bastards so he made uh him promise that his character would be pure and never um do an act of evil yeah <laughs> well and i like that too i mean that's obviously that's a good thing but it also uh it's because Christoph Waltz was right to worry because every other movie he's been in besides yeah, he's this, been the evil Nazi dude. <laughs> he was, he's the villain in Spectre, a really boring villain in Spectre. Yeah. He's a really boring villain in the Green Hornet. Like, yeah. He, right after Inglourious, he was definitely typecast. It sucks because like he has such a great range and he is pretty creepy, <laughs> like naturally, I guess. Yeah, I, mean, I mean, I guess so, but he's great in this movie. Yeah. Like if you saw this first, you might... You might find it hard to believe he was an yeah. evil Nazi if you watched Inglourious <laughs> Bastards after. Like, he's really good yeah. in this. Um, but in this film, uh, he actually dislocated his pelvis bone during a horse scene. Mm. And so in the beginning, he is riding a wagon a lot of the time. And that's right. to make up for that. With the giant tooth. Yeah, because he's a wagon. dentist. And Jamie Foxx gave him a saddle with a seatbelt to use <laughs> afterwards <laughs> for sh- uh, shooting. Um so this could be a movie connection, but it's not a connection to other Quentin Tarantino films. Okay. Broomhilda von Schaft is, um, and Django <laughs> mm-hmm. are supposed to be the great, 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 great grandparents of Shaft. <laughs> Wait, really? <laughs> yeah, that's what I read. <laughs> so according to I'm him pretty or... sure Quentin Tarantino said that. That is bizarre. It's <laughs> <laughs> like, that is so weird. <laughs> That is really strange. Yeah. Broomhilda von Schaft. <laughs> I guess. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Also, this movie gets the award for the most N-word uses. Uses. Want to yeah. take a guess? How many? No. <laughs> 116. Yeah. This was the second. I think this is the second time Spike Lee got in a big fight with uh, Tarantino yeah. about, about that. Yeah. I don't know how I feel about it. It's definitely like 
it's over the top. <laughs> it is, but especially in this one, like it makes sense for it would be odd. But it's like I, the argument I can totally have the argument in my head where the other side is this is a movie like a lot of his more recent movies that are about revising history. Why not yeah. revise that part of history yeah, too and not say it very constantly. easily? Yeah. It's his yeah. universe. But then, and then the other side of me is like, well, he's trying to make these people seem awful and yeah, terrible you don't want to whitewash like, sugarcoat everything. Yeah, exactly. So it's, I, I can see both sides. I, I get it. Um, and there is a Quentin Tarantino cameo. There's actually two. Oh my God. Uh, so Wait, two. yeah, apparently, well, we, the obvious one, he plays an Australian in the end and gets blown up. <laughs> one of, I almost picked that as my favorite yeah. part because when it happened the second time I had forgotten about it. And when he explodes, like yeah. it, his entire body explodes. I laugh. If I'd had like food in my mouth, I would have done like a spit. Like, yeah. I laugh. I like, I guffawed as they well, And also because like whenever he has cameos and stuff, it's so out of place. And this yes. one is like, is he it's, supposed to be Australian? Australian this because, is his, like it's so bad if he wasn't blown up in extremely yeah. hilarious fashion I, this would be his worst cameo ever yeah, by far I'm it's, it's super distracting and annoying and pretend <laughs> and obnoxious definitely but he also plays a hooded figure in the the clan horse scene oh okay yeah which apparently it isn't the kkk it's like whatever was before the kkk oh really but i don't i didn't care to look up the actual name huh. <laughs> weird um and then this is a little weird. Django was written for Will Smith specifically. Really? But Will Smith passed on it because he thought that the character wasn't the lead. And I don't know who he thought the lead was. I mean, I like Christoph Waltz. That's weird. Yeah. So Obviously. he passed and Jamie Foxx took it. <laughs> Django is the only character who's in the movie from beginning to end. Yeah. I can't <laughs> imagine if Will Smith would have been good or bad for this. I don't know. Jamie Foxx does a pretty good job. <laughs> yeah, I agreed. I, I think he's great in this. Um, and then some movie connections. Let's see. Dr. King Schultz, who is Christoph Waltz's character, and Paula Schultz. So Paula Schultz shows up in Kill Bill Volume 1 or 2. It's when Beatrix Kiddo is buried that the grave is Paula Schultz. Oh, wow. No kidding. Do like does the gra- do the time, does it make sense? Like the I, grave Somebody wrote, time? like, the grave says she died in 1898. And this movie takes place in like 1858 to 59, I think. Yeah, so that's And so it was either like it could be his wife or like what where is his wife? Where's his wife in this movie? He doesn't have one. He never talks about it. I don't know. I don't remember. Weird. That's an interesting connection though. I mean, it's definitely a connection. That's that's the whole the chapter name in Kill That's like the great the yeah. Wow. All right, then let me see this one because it's like a few characters. Go for it. Uh, Gerald Nash is a member of the gang Bacall. Django Freeman and Dr. King Schultz are searching for their le- leader, Smitty Bacall. In the movie Django, um, oh, and then Marvin Nash is the tortured cop in Reservoir Dogs. Right. Gerald Nash is a policeman killed by the Knox couple in Natural Born Killers. So Gerald Nash is the great grandfather of Gerald and Marvin. I don't know. There's hmm. like a bunch of Nash people. <laughs> yeah, from Natural Born Killers and uh, Reservoir, Reservoir Dogs, Dogs and, and Django. Hmm. Um, and then I think... or or take uh, think about it. Maybe Tarantino just isn't very good at coming up with repeated names. Maybe yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then the only other one I had was um, Captain Coons, who is Christoph Wal- uh, Christopher Walken's character in Pulp Fiction. Yeah. And Crazy Craig Coons is in Django. 
Hmm. I think he was one of the people in the cabin. Oh, okay. Yeah, I actually, I remember reading that, and, and I tried to figure out who the people. hell Crazy Craig Coons yeah. was, and I couldn't even figure it out. I'm pretty sure he's one of the, like, weird people who lives in the woods. <laughs> okay. Um. So, yeah, movie connections. Yeah. Expanded universe. And I'm pretty sure somebody smokes apple cigarettes or whatever. I'm sure they do. <laughs> Hand-rolled red apple. <laughs> um. So... What do you think this movie does better than his other films? I think a lot of the stuff that's great about Django is also great in a couple of his other movies. But I think those, to me, the specific thing that stands out are the shootouts. Yeah. Particularly that last shootout with, uh, with Django in the house. Well, actually all the last two where he's right after Christoph Waltz gets killed. That whole shootout is really, really cool. Yeah. And the editing is fantastic in it. So I'm going to say best shootout scenes. For me, I said probably the very realistic brutality um, as far as like trying to depict this time yeah. and how like you have the the men fighting each other to death, getting ripped apart by dogs, yes. hangings and whipped ugh, like to death. Yeah. Yeah. That's probably a better answer than mine. Um, so I feel like it pushes the uncomfortableness of the entire film, like right to the edge. And it probably tips over a bit. I know Quentin Tarantino said like he, he had extended scenes where more violence, but he felt bad for the audience. He wanted the audience to still enjoy it. So he dialed back a little bit. Hmm, okay. So for this to be dialed back, <laughs> yeah. it's like, I think he did a good job of at least balancing that. Sure. So I think that probably does, he does that well for this over his other ones. Yeah. Yeah. I would totally agree with that. That's a, that's a good point. Cause yeah, it's really uncomfortable. Oh yeah, it's, <laughs> it's a lot horrible. of it. <laughs> Mima, do not watch this. Which ever. is again just like Inglorious Bastards, <laughs> which is again why it's so satisfying when Django yeah. gets his revenge, right? Yeah. Um. So, what do you think your favorite scene <laughs> or song? Which one do you want? Well, I'm, do? A, I'm gonna do scene first. Uh, my mine. I'm just gonna give one of the, my favorite parts of the movie, which is when he says, "Say goodbye to Miss Laura." Uh, that's my favorite scene too. <laughs> <laughs> Bye, Miss Laura. Bang. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, that whole shootout I think is one of my favorite scenes. Damn you, Django! Yeah. <laughs> B-I-T-C-H. Um, and then I also like when uh, what's his name, Jonah Hill's one-liner. Or he's like, what does he say? maybe it's not Jonah Hills, but it's like, my wife has been making these yeah. hoods all night. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, now you're going to tell me that you don't like them? Yeah. Yeah, that seems pretty he's funny. Like, I'm going home. <laughs> well, and that was watching the behind the scenes stuff. It was, I wouldn't have really thought about it watching it, but how complicated that scene was with like, the they horses, had like 50 horses yeah. and a huge explosion <laughs> that was real. I was like, it's pretty interesting. So I do appreciate the like comedic moments throughout this film too. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. It's, it's got some With really all funny the heavy bits. crap going on. <laughs> For sure. Um, and then also I think another good scene is probably Leonardo DiCaprio <laughs> when he like smashes his hand all over the table. Um, and he rubs blood all over Gary Washington's face. <laughs> yeah, real, real blood. It's not real blood. They paused and wrapped his hand and then got fake blood. Oh, okay, okay. But they were like, "What? Do, shouldn't we rub blood all over her face? And he's like, yeah, we should. <laughs> so go get the corn syrup. <laughs> also, probably the first thing I think about when I think about this movie is like that snap zoom to Leonardo DiCaprio yeah. when he's got the little cigarette holder and yeah. he's like, mm-hmm, he nods, you know. So yeah, he's a good villain in this. Oh, which was I don't know Something if he's ever candy. been a villain before i think i know people said like man in the iron mask he was a villain but i've never seen it so Hmm. 
Um, but I know a lot of uh, he had a lot of issues using like the N word and being mm. a total racist pig. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then Samuel Jackson was like, "This is just another Tuesday for us." Like, <laughs> <laughs> like what were you talking about? And uh, Quentin Tarantino was like, "If you don't play this to the fullest, people are going to hold it against you." <laughs> yeah. I, I last thing maybe that I'll say about Django is that I think Samuel Jackson is really good in this. Yeah, this is one of is. I think this is one of his best roles, and it's a totally different kind of character than he normally plays yeah like you could say ordell roby from jackie brown and jules from pulp fiction are not that dissimilar people yeah but like this his character in this is totally different yeah definitely <laughs> and he's off he's so he's probably the most easily hated hateable character in this yeah movie. He's even, so more manipulative. Than, even more than leonardo DiCaprio. yeah <laughs> and obviously pulling most of the strings yeah <laughs> Um, do you think Leonardo and his sister are incestual? <laughs> oh, perhaps. What does he, what does he say when he gets out of the, uh, he's like, where is my beautiful sister? <laughs> yeah. I saw some trivia. I was like, there's a lot of debate about whether or not he is. Yeah, it's and then definitely other implied. people are like, it's just because he's French. <laughs> uh, I don't know. Like, I'd, say it? I'd say it's pretty heavily implied, which yeah. would go hand in hand with a Tarantino making fun of awful people. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then, so this movie has a lot of good music too, because like all this stuff. Mm -hmm. So I picked Who Did That to You by John Legend. Mm. Yeah, that's a good one. Now I'm not afraid to do the Lord's work. He said vengeance is his, but I'm going to do it first. I'm gonna handle my business in the name of love. Oh. When does that play in the movie? Do you remember? I think it plays maybe when he's rescuing her, or maybe it's in the beginning. Man, I can't remember. Yeah, I don't remember for a lot of these. I don't know for sure about mine either. Um, yeah, mine is. The I think it's actually. It might be when she's taken out of the hot box. And she's getting oh, like, yeah. like uh, primped up Dressed for up, them. Yeah. I, uh, it might, might be, right. be that scene, but yeah. I can't remember. I need to start writing that down. <laughs> yeah, I know. I, I didn't put it in mine either. Uh, mine is the song is called The Braying Mule. It's another Ennio Morricone song. I, I don't know when exactly when it plays, but it's definitely, it's one of the times when um, Django is like riding riding high on his horse. It might be when, he first, when you first see him in like the blue suede suit. <laughs> Which He's is based very off stylish. a painting of the Danish boy or something. Yeah. I, I, I just think it looks like Austin Powers. But, yeah, um, <laughs> based off Austin Powers. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, it's the one that's like detuned guitars and a flute. It's like... Yeah. That's a good one. Yeah. So what else for Django? The Django. I um, think Walter Walton Coggins uh, shines in this. Yeah, he's barely in he it. He earns but he's, his role in the next film. He's very funny in his, yeah, he's really yeah. funny and definitely, I'm sure that's why he got cast in the role he did for Hateful Eight. Yeah. Yeah, this movie's got a great cast overall. Um, yeah, I wish some of the uh, non-white actors that are in this movie would get cast in some of his other movies. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think any of them have returned. Kerry Washington and Jamie Foxx have not returned to a Tarantino movie for, for whatever reason. Yeah. I wonder. Yeah, I don't know. Only Samuel Jackson. <laughs> yeah. But like you can see between this and uh, 
and um, Inglorious Bastards, he's basically got the cast that he's used for every movie since then. Yeah. <laughs> Brad, Brad Pitt, Christoph Waltz, and Leonardo DiCaprio. That's too bad Kurt Russell didn't show up in this. Yeah. I th- oh, you know, I think he was going to. I think he was supposed to be in there. Or maybe, maybe that was a different one, but. Um, it, I know he was supposed to be used in a few of his movies and then couldn't for some reason yeah. make an overboard. I think, or <laughs> I think he was supposed to be somebody in Django. Yeah. So, yeah, uh, I think definitely watching this movie at home is the way to go. Well, just, not that you could see it in theaters anyway. No, I don't but. even know if it's just that. I think we just had a particularly bad experience. And so yeah. that really colored the way but we I'm saw the movie. Glad we rewatched it. Definitely. And gave it another chance. It, it's actually pretty funny, too. Oh, it's great. It was at the for a long time. It was my bottom of the list of Tarantino movies of my ranking. And now yeah. it's definitely not. It's climbed its way back up. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, that's Django Unchained. Yeah. All right, so next up is Hateful Eight, which came out in 2015. This one actually is longer than Django by three whole minutes. It's two (laughs) hours and 48 minutes, but this doesn't include the extended version that came out on Netflix. And that's different. (laughs) This might be his movie with the most versions, too, because that's different from the Roadshow version, too, I think, had extra stuff in it. that Yeah, there was like... The one we saw was film, and it had an intermission. And I think it might have had some other stuff too. It's not not a lot, but maybe a. I little, just thought it, it was, was the intermission and maybe like a couple extra scenes. Maybe, but I don't know for sure. Yeah, I think he likes doing lots of different versions. <laughs> whenever mm. somebody's like, "I'll give you money to put this out now," <laughs> yeah, because I'm pretty sure he said that about some other films. Oh, Once Upon a Time. I think he has an extended version he wants to put out. Right. All well, right. and the, yeah. the combined version of Kill Bill. And, yeah. yeah. Um, so Hateful Eight, for those who haven't seen it, it is in the dead of the Wyoming winter, a bounty hunter and his prisoner find shelter in a cabin currently inhabited by a collection of nefarious characters, a.k.a. the plot of the thing, but without the alien and more racism. <laughs> and sexism yeah sexism racism or misogyny more more yeah. specifically um but and y- when did uh, did you mention when it takes place uh, i don't know the year it, it's before django though right yeah it's after this no it's after django django's first oh you're right you're right because this is post-civil war yeah okay so Django's the oldest in the... And this is second oldest yeah. in chronological. Gotcha. Um, and it stars Kurt Russell, of course, because this is a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, Jennifer Jason Lee, Samuel L. Jackson, and Walton Goggins, plus like every single person who's ever been in a Quentin Tarantino film. Like, um, what's his name? Well, Tim Roth is in it. Michael uh, Madsen. Yeah, that's who I was thinking of. Bruce Dern uh zoe bell has a small role mm-hmm. you know the usual oh i didn't write this down but i know the guy who plays ob is yeah. oh that's it's james, james parks. parks yeah who's you know the son of part of the father-son sheriff duo we mentioned earlier yeah and actually i think minnie who owns Minnie haberdashery yeah i think she is one of the house slaves from Django. oh i think you're right she's the one who's like bye miss laura yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah so i guess there are some people carried over from that movie <laughs> yeah good call um so for me 
I always I have a hard time between this one and Inglorious Bastards, whether or not which one's my favorite. Mm -hmm. We'll get into that with the ranking. But um so some trivia about this. Yeah. Uh the main one, I think a lot of people know this, but there's a scene where Kurt Russell is um he allows Jennifer Jason Lee's character to play a song on a guitar. And it was an authentic 1870s guitar worth over $40,000 that Kurt Russell decided to destroy instead of waiting for yeah, there them was... to swap it out. Right. <laughs> and Jennifer Jason's Lee's reaction is real. Wow, wow, yeah, wow. Yeah. <laughs> and it was kept in the film. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then also more thing related stuff. Uh, the music, it's a lot of the songs was unused from the thing. Yeah, so this is this is the one where I, I had written down um, that it was the first Tarantino movie to use a mostly original score that he actually hired somebody to write a score for it, and that was Ennio Morricone. And Morricone gave him like five pieces of music to use, and then he also gave him some music from the thing. I don't, which I don't know if Tarantino asks for that specifically or not, but it is funny because yeah, yeah <laughs> how the movie is so similar. Yeah, I thought it was kind of interesting. I remember the first time seeing it. It was just, it was so weird in the back. This is way before I did the thing minute. Like I loved the thing at this point, but I hadn't like, you know, dived into it, dove into it. Like I did for the podcast yet. Yeah. Um, but I remember seeing hate flight and being like, I don't know why, but this feels so much like a carpenter movie. Like it feels like it's yeah. shot like a carpenter movie. It's got themes like a carpenter movie. Um, and then, you know, I found out later that it even had music from the thing in it. And so that kind of blew my mind. Maybe yeah. feel like I know what I'm talking about sometimes. <laughs> um, and yeah, it has definitely the same like atmosphere where it's a bunch of dudes and a lady all locked in like one space mm -hmm. in the winter. Uh, and they don't know who to trust and who's who they say they are. Yeah. Paranoia <laughs> being the key thing there for yeah. sure. Paranoia and cold. Definitely and Kurt cold. Russell. You can only watch this when it's cold. I always get the, like, uh, in December, I'm like, I should watch Hateful Eight. Shut the door! <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you gotta use two boards! <laughs> um, let's see. Oh, there's no bare feet in this movie? <laughs> I think it's the only one of his movies not to feature bare think. feet. Because how could there possibly be any bare feet? It is feet, pretty right? cold. They get frostbite. You're in a blizzard. Hmm. Yeah. No bare feet. That's said in the trivia in IMDb. No. I was trying to think of like feet. what women are in the film too. There's only the people who work Zoe in the Zoe Bell, Minnie, and uh and Daisy Domergoo. Yeah. <laughs> um Oh, here's a big spoiler. Trivia. Go for it. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Yeah. If you haven't seen the movie, skip ahead like 15 seconds. Yeah. Everyone in the movie dies. Yeah. Not a single person that appears on screen survives. Yeah. I just thought that was interesting because I never thought about it that way. Well, I thought it, I guess they are dying out at the end. We don't actually see Samuel Jackson and Walton Goggins. Walton Goggins die, though, do we? No, but they're definitely on their death. You know, they can't even move and they're stuck there and yeah. there's nobody coming. I mean, they're probably going to die. Yeah. Probably. <laughs> I think it's pretty clear they're dead. Yeah. They don't share a drink at the end, do they? I was oh, just like thinking the like thing? the thing, like Maybe. they're both dying. I hadn't thought about it. I'm not sure. They might. We'll have to rewatch the last scene and yeah. see. <laughs> That'd be funny. Um all right. And so some movie connections. Yeah, I was surprised at how many there were for this one. You take the first one. Sure. Um so Tim Roth's character, he I can't remember what his, oh, his fake name is. I can't remember what it is. Mo, Mobley? Yeah, Oswaldo Mowbray. Yeah. Yeah, uh, Mowbray. <laughs> but when they figure out who he really is, his name is Pete Hickox, who yeah. 
is supposedly the great great grandfather of Archie Hickox, which Ugh. is Michael Fassbender's character in Inglorious. But Michael Bastards. Fassbender's character is British, isn't he? So is Tim Roth. Oh, his I name's they like they're all American. His, uh, they, he even has a nickname. It's like British Pete or something oh, like that. that right? makes sense. <laughs> yeah, he's definitely British. In this. I was like, what? <laughs> you know, when he's like, and and you're the executioner, and he's like, yes. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I love Tim Roth in this. Yeah, he's good. <laughs> Uh, this uh, you want me to do this next one? Sure. So this one's long, so you know, bear with me here. Mm. There are three subtle references to Django Unchained in this movie. First, when Major Warren is introduced, he's sitting on top of three corpses and a saddle, which was and the saddle was previously owned by Django. I guess it's just the same saddle. Oh yeah, I think I read that too. Uh, the second is Django's green corduroy jacket, which is on the floor in Minnie's haberdashery, which mm, I definitely noticed. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, and then. Third, Walton Goggins' character is called... This is a dumb one. He's called a hillbilly in both <laughs> movies. Well, so that's kind of stupid. But all right. <laughs> more, more interesting... Yeah, I forgot. I meant to take that one out because it's dumb. <laughs> more interestingly, though, was it seemed, there was a lot of trivia that suggested that at one, for a long time, Tarantino was going to... This was going to be a sequel to Django and might even feature Django. Would, like, Samuel Jackson's character be Django? I don't know. Like, I think I think it's war. totally different from what oh. it was going to be. Hmm. Um. Yeah, I didn't actually put this in the true, but another uh, pretty interesting thing about behind the scenes of this, if people might know or might not, is that this was this was the Tarantino movie that the script got leaked. And uh, I thought it was yeah, a big deal because once the script leaked, it. yeah, he he <laughs> was going to um, not make the movie and he yeah. was going to write it as a novel instead, which is weird. <laughs> um, and then somebody, I think maybe Samuel Jackson, somebody convinced him that he should just go ahead and make the movie. But since then. Since Hateful Eight, uh, well, his one movie since Hateful Eight, he was like extremely protective about yeah. um, who about who sees the script and and how. So that's I thought that was kind of interesting. And also, there's a Red Apple cigarette reference. Yeah, this one said <laughs> by Tarantino himself in a voiceover. He calls them Manzana Rojas because it's it's uh, Mexican he's Bob the or voice whatever narrator. Yeah, which I'll take that. I'll take yeah. him as a narrator. That's much I like his than... voice cameos. They're funny. Uh, like the Jackie Brown one? <laughs> you have one message. Yeah, I agree. I'd, I'd much prefer him as a voice than yeah. as, uh, than ha- having him show up somewhere. <laughs> um, so this one's another tough one for me about what it does better than his other films. Yeah, I had a hard time thinking about it on this one, but I, I have a decent answer, I think. Uh, yeah, so for me, I put, I think the atmosphere intention is probably the best and it all takes place in a contained space like Reservoir Dogs, Mm -hmm. but it also allows the cinematography to really take advantage of like the surrounding environment and he shot on film. So it looks amazing. Yeah. (laughs) Mine is similar to that. And that's just because tension, I think Glorious Bastards does better than this, although this does great suspense too but yeah um i think this movie makes really good use of space yeah and like the geography of the space like once you're settled in the in the haberdashery you know every corner of that room and you know where everybody's situated and who's got the jump on who well also like just setting up each frame and like there's he uses so many different camera techniques like uh split diopter is like used heavily in this yeah it's all over this but then you also have the like super uh in focus like 
depth of field so you can see the person who's standing all the way in the back like when people are getting poisoned and you're like wanting to know where everybody is like in very wide angle lenses too yeah that's what i was gonna say is yeah but again back to the john carpenter thing that's one of the things that carpenter's really well known for is that he uses wide angle lenses all the time and this movie i remember a lot of people complain that the movie shot on 70 millimeter in this ultra wide panavision that like is like a film stock and technique that hadn't been used since like 1962 it's really rare and difficult to use and then he shoots this movie super wide all indoors like the movie's 90 percent indoors which people are like why would he do that but i think it works fantastically he still uses some outdoor stuff oh the outdoor stuff is great but it's not in the movie very much it's really just the first 20 minutes and then there's a few little blips here and there but and but, then it's also good. Well, you could finish. I was just going to say, but that w- super wide angle and wide frame gives you a really good view of everywhere in the haberdashery at once. So you get a, you always have a sense of who is where. Yeah. It's really important. And with that, each character has like their own little costume and jacket. So it really stands out in the film. Yeah. Like Samuel Jackson's jacket cape thing. Mm-hmm. It's like bright gold, yellow and dark blue. And it looks great against like the wood of that's the cabin a, that's a really good point is that i hadn't really thought about is that this movie has great uh costuming and yeah. great great just um all the characters have very distinct looks yeah so like you, can you could almost tell yeah. like you could even tell almost from a silhouette who everybody is like you know they all have really great designs jennifer jason lee's costume is blood yeah. <laughs> and bruises <laughs> yeah. like each person has their own fur coat yeah. <laughs> Um, so what do you, what would you say your favorite scene is for this? I had a really hard time picking and I kind of, I've got sort of have two that I couldn't really pick between. And one of them is the Lincoln letter. The the second time the Lincoln letter comes up when, when, uh, Oh my God. When it makes Kurt Russell cry. So yeah, if you haven't seen the movie, there's a Samuel Jackson's character has a letter. He carries around this letter from Abraham Lincoln. Yeah. And it, it brings a tear to, uh, how did the letter end it's like old mary todd is calling yeah uh, best to be going or something and kurt russell's character john john ruth the hangman is like like incredibly yeah he's incredibly moved by the letter and then later uh it they find out that it was just totally fake that he that samuel jackson's character made it just uh just so he could like use it on white people yeah. to get their gain Move their them. trust, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and he fell totally for it. And yeah, it's, my heart breaks. It, it is heartbreak, but it's, it's very the same funny. Heartbreak that I felt with Reservoir Dogs with Harvey Keitel, yes. and Tim Roth, like finding he's out like, that I'm he the, was the yeah. undercover person. Yeah, that's a great comparison. Um The other one is just the one I quote all the time from this movie, which is "You gonna yeah, make a course. deal <laughs> with die <laughs> terrible slow-mo it's fantastic it makes me laugh every time yeah that was my favorite scene too um and just how it's like unraveling with everybody and like uh what's her name daisy domer daisy is like well the whole time she's kind of like an idiot ish and then like as soon as like we know what's up she's like you're going to make a deal with me and this is what you're going to do. And you're going to do this and this yeah, and this, or you're going to die. And like, yeah. and like suddenly she's like spouting off all this stuff. Like, yeah. 
super coherent. <laughs> oh yeah, she's a great character. Yeah, uh, she's fantastic in this whole movie. Yeah, I can't imagine. I know they said they had a really hard time casting that role, and you want to hear something really crazy? Yeah, I think Jennifer Lawrence <laughs> might have been the the first choice. Which I, I don't maybe see her. I don't. She's know. got a mother. That's that's a really good point. Mother is she is a similar thing, and she takes a real beating in mother. I mean, she's good in a lot too. of stuff she does, but yeah, I haven't really. I can't imagine her her manager is allowing her to get beat up <laughs> perhaps yeah not to the extent in this movie yeah jennifer jason lee's like yeah let's Which, go to yeah, wendy's this might... after <laughs> oh my god <laughs> next time wendy's uh that I, that actually makes me think of something i wanted to say about this which is that i know a lot of people have a problem with this movie in that it is very clearly super misogynistic yeah but uh i and i think it makes sense because a for one the movie is literally called the hate flight it's all it's about eight terrible people yeah um, but I thought I saw a reading of it on Twitter the other day that I thought was really interesting. That was that uh, may, perhaps the point Tarantino was trying to make is that uh, even even white and black racism is overcome by sexism. <laughs> that even <laughs> even any everybody can agree that the woman is the one to to beat on. Yeah. Like you know that that Lowest misogyny. Yeah. yeah, that misogyny is is the overcomes all and <laughs> how horrible that is. Yeah. But also, she's a terrible person in this. <laughs> I mean, she's pretty gross. She is yeah. essentially the villain in this movie. Yeah, and she's pretty racist too. <laughs> oh yeah, extremely. <laughs> I also, I'm trying to remember. Oh well, how did you feel about when Channing Tatum pops up <laughs> through the floor? <laughs> I remember being shocked by uh, that. I don't even. I don't think I knew he was in oh, it. Oh, we definitely did. Yeah, he's he, not on the poster. I mean, if, if we like, looked at it, is that maybe. Channing Tatum? <laughs> coming out of the pace he was definitely nowhere in the marketing for the movie at all yeah which is great it was a nice surprise yeah well and so (laughs) short-lived yeah yeah like much like many tarantino movies your expectations are totally dashed right like you're like oh wow he's there so now it's gonna turn the tides it's like oh no he's he's dead (laughs) he's dead in like horrific fashion i think that was channing tatum yeah But I do love when they flash back and you see and everything starts to come become clear. Yeah. And you see what how the setup worked and everything. It's great. Well, yeah. When I was listening through the soundtrack again, since he includes a lot of the sound clips, there was one part where Bruce Dern's character, um, General Sandy Smithers. Yeah. He's like Walter Goggins character is walton (laughs) i wasn't gonna correct character name uh sheriff chris mannix chris mannix yeah uh he's like trying to convince him to come eat with him and then i remembered like during the flashback you find out that they said like if you move from this chair i'm going to kill you or whatever and like he's saying all this like racist stuff like why he will not get out of the chair Uh to go eat with them and it's like oh yeah because he can't or he'll be shot and there was another interesting piece of trivia that like when they're all first coming into the cabin that he looks directly bruce stern's character looks directly into camera which is like almost like a wink like you know because he's the only one alive that knows what's going on (laughs) but he can't say anything obviously yeah yeah it's like it's yeah the whole movie is just fantastic with all that i love that yeah um so what would you say your favorite song is uh it was between the two main themes and i, I like same i like the overture <laughs> which is the one with the glockenspiel same. The like, ding, we're ding, the same ding. 
And also, it's such a great theme, but when I was listening through the score again, I was like, they just use this theme in every single song, so mm -hmm. it doesn't really matter which song I pick, because it's all the same. Yeah, essentially. <laughs> But it's a good. Well, there's like there's like two things. There's the that one, and then the other one's like the. Yeah. Nah, nah. But yeah, they're similar. Yeah. They're definitely similar. <laughs> um, I also put David Hess. Now you're all alone. What? That's like a pop song from it. Oh. But yeah. I don't remember if it's like the credits or. I don't know. No, because the credits is um. Now they won't come coming. You know, it's that like yeah. old western song, and the one that. The only the pop song I remember is the White Stripes song when she's looking out the window of the wedding. Yeah, and she sings a song too. Right. Let me play it real quick. Yeah, I don't remember what part it's from. It's pretty far down on the list, so maybe it's near the end. Yeah. Or maybe it's like the in intermission song. I don't know. That's true. It could be, yeah. Um. So speaking of intermissions, we should probably mention our memorable movie watching moment with this. <laughs> so we mentioned we like got to see the roadshow yeah. uh, or whatever. Oh, right. Right. Um, which was it was the seventy millimeter print it or was thirty five millimeter seventy and 70, it was yeah. it was our second time trying to see it the first time we tried it sold yeah. out and we went and saw Force Awakens again <laughs> yeah we tried to go see it and then it sold it was, out I think we then, tried to see it the day after Christmas then we went like yeah. a day or two after that we knew it was going to be such a popular Christmas movie um, but we lucked out because we went to the bigger theater in Atlanta and we got like a special little booklet mm -hmm. and then during the intermission. Walter Goggins. Walter Goggins. Oh, my God. <laughs> I was like, she's going to get it right this yeah. time. It's because I wrote Walter in all my notes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Walton Goggins came out yeah. during it. He was just hanging out. Yeah. yeah came, I wish I remembered what he said. I don't remember. Something like, <laughs> thanks for coming, you yeah. son of a... B-I-T-C-H. <laughs> Django. <laughs> Wasn't anything of, of much uh, importance, I guess. Yeah. But yeah, it was really cool. Still I wish cool. I wish they'd do more stuff like this roadshow. I, I didn't put this in the trivia, but this was crazy that the, the uh, Weinstein company spent like several million dollars doing that distribution because they had yeah. to, they had to pay, they had to send out those Our special projectors and they had yeah. to pay, it was like $8,000 a theater to, um, to train the projectionists to use it or something too. So crazy. Hey, yeah. Once you know, 35 millimeter projection, like 70 millimeter won't be that different. <laughs> well, I mean, I don't know. I don't know. But I guess I would be scared about somebody scratching it and then like this has to go on to another city. That That's maybe true. Yeah. But it's also like, I don't know. It was shot on that special. It's not just 70 millimeter. Mm. Although maybe, maybe the end result in distribution is 70 mil, just regular 70 yeah. millimeter. But it was shot on that weird ultra Panavision, which mm. is like a whole different I guess ball it could game. be slightly different. I don't know. But yeah, I mean, it looks gorgeous. I'm glad we got to see it on yeah. film. Yeah, really I really cool. wish we lived in L.A. sometimes so we could go to Quentin Tarantino's theater. And like, yeah, the new Bev. They probably do lots of cool things. They do do lots of cool things. But hopefully we're going to Alamo Draft House soon, Atlanta. Woo! Yeah, if we, all, if we all come out of this alive. Yeah. We may be going to the movie Alamo theaters Draft House. make a comeback. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Boy, that was yeah. the most nervous laugh yeah. I've ever heard. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah, but that was a great experience and just helped me like the movie even more. Yeah, it was great. It was super cool. Um, and this is one of the few ones that I could probably watch every, uh, like, 
whenever I agree. and always find something new and different in it. Especially given how long it is. There's only, I can only think of probably two or three movies off the top of my head that are this long that I am up for. Like just talking about it right now makes me want to go watch it. Yeah. Um, you know, the other one probably being The Raid too. Which... If you're going to do the <laughs> Netflix one though, you should like oh, watch yeah. it all together. Well, I don't know. See, I, I'm glad you brought that up because I, I did want to mention that because like if, if you haven't seen it, like you could watch would it you recommend parts. which version would you recommend i don't know i feel like I'm, i don't know i feel like <laughs> first time seeing it you should watch the movie watch yeah. the full like all at once thing but i will say i really enjoyed watching it in parts like one part a night for four nights yeah the only thing the netflix version the intro to it is really really stupid I don't remember the intro. Well, they show the opening credits of the movie oh, on they, like, all four episodes. All no, they oh. show it's like six <laughs> or seven minutes long. They put it on all four episodes instead yeah, of just the first one, which is really absurd. dumb. <laughs> so you had to kind of skip through that because it's just that long take of like the snow. There's no reason to watch it again. Yeah. And it's very long. <laughs> yeah. Um, but other than that, I, I did, ha having seen it already probably twice before that, I really enjoyed watching it split up into chunks. It was well, nice. Well, the only way to really watch it is to see it on 70 millimeter and have Walton Goggins come out and say, hey. <laughs> yeah, no, don't let that discourage you. You should watch it. But if you can't, I would say watch the movie first, too. Yeah. <laughs> and then Netflix it when you're obsessed with it. Should people watch The Thing first or that's Hateful an, Eight ooh, first? That's an excellent question. Well, obviously, I'm going to say The Thing. The I think they should watch The Thing the first. Yeah. If you haven't seen, if you listen to this podcast, you haven't watched John Carpenter's The Thing. I mean, you what should are you just doing? double feature it, really. It would make an excellent double feature, although it'd be about five hours long. Totally worth it during quarantine. Yeah, you got the time now. There's no excuse. Yeah. Make compare and contrast, yeah. pro con list. They would be an excellent double feature. Yeah. I mean, they're almost too alike to be a double feature. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So, any other thoughts on Hateful Eight? Nah, it's a great movie. Yeah, I would definitely recommend this one. I'm trying to think. It's pretty bloody, but mostly gunshot violence. So, uh, yeah. Nima, you might like it. I don't know. It's Kurt Russell smacking <laughs> uh, Jennifer Jason Lee in the face. Yeah, hard but we a all lot. know it's just like a Foley artist breaking celery. Or was it Quentin Tarantino? <laughs> oh, yeah. Quentin Tarantino probably her. punched her in the face for real. <laughs> I want to do, I wanna to do this it. myself. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right so next up so the most recent one and quentin Tarantino's last movie to date is once upon a time dot 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 in hollywood where from 2019 <laughs> um so here's what i wrote uh tarantino himself repeatedly called this movie his magnum opus and worked on the script for five years at one point planning it as a novel instead he even says it's so personal to him that it is his roma much like Inglorious Bastards, it majorly revises history, this time one of the most important turning points in the center of Hollywood that Tarantino was raised on, the Tate-LaBianca murders, a.k.a. the Manson murders. Um, so what Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is about, if you haven't seen it, is kind of follows two threads. There's um, uh, Rick Dalton, this Leonardo DiCaprio, and his best friend slash stunt double, uh, Cliff Booth, played by Brad Pitt. Um, they're they descended from, <laughs> yeah, <kidding>. whatever they're <laughs> basically, they're struggling for work a little bit because they're kind of becoming aging outdated. Out. Yeah. They're yeah. kind of aging out and kind of that kind of story is getting a little less popular. Like he's, he was a Western star. Um, At law. and this is in 1969. <laughs> bounty, law? Bounty, bounty law. law. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then the other side of it is he's living, he lives next door to Roman Polanski and Sharon Tate who, you know, the, obviously the movie is leading up to the point when 
uh, she and a bunch of other folks in their house would be brutally murdered by the uh, by some of the Manson cult. Um, so there's that uh, leading up to it as well. So, um, yeah, so the movie's full of like late 60s, early 70s Hollywood look, which is uh, awesome. That's one of the best things about it. Um, and then obviously there's a ton of like real life stuff sprinkled in that, um, whether it's based on fact or whether it's revised for what Tarantino was trying to do, but it's all, it's pretty close to like what really happened aside from the major change that, uh, At the end. that Tarantino makes with history in this one. Um, so should we go through, I have a ton of trivia for this one, but it's all super interesting. Is it? I, I swear. I promise. <laughs> Well, intersplice some stuff. <laughs> okay, well, let me go through a couple of them, and then we'll, we'll take a break from trivia. Uh, here's a great one. Brad Pitt ad-libbed the line, you're Rick and Dalton, and don't you forget it. <laughs> Which I thought it's crazy, because that seems like such an important line in the movie. Uh, Pitt based that line on an actor who told him the same thing when he was a budding actor in the <laughs> 90s. I thought that was kind of funny. You're Brad Pitt, and don't you forget. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then uh, Sharon Tate asks, uh, at one point near the end, she says, they have premieres for dirty movies. Uh, and the theater that they're looking at is called the Eros, which was a real adult theater at the time. The building still exists, and it is now the New Beverly, Quentin Tarantino's movie theater. <laughs> so that's kind of a nice little touch. Just like our Plaza Theater. Yeah. Yeah, the Plaza to used, to, used to be a porno theater. Yeah. <laughs> um, in an unprecedented film production move, a section of L.A.'s Hollywood Freeway, U.S. 101, was completely shut down from 12 p.m. to 2 p.m. for <laughs> for that one shot when uh, Brad Pitt is driving on the highway with, uh, what's her name? Um, it's not Star Child. I can't remember her name. You Pussycat. Know, yeah, Pussycat. Um, he's driving in that on the highway. It's There's no visual effects in those shots at all. It's mm. all period cars for two hours on uh, on that highway, which is kind of insane. That had to be one of the most expensive shots of last yeah, year, probably. Like, <laughs> to shut down straight, that. Brad Pitt. <laughs> yeah, really. It's pretty wild. Um, the cowboy that's in the background when Clem is sitting on the fence and he just knifed Cliff's tires yeah. at the Spawn Ranch. Uh, so the guy, the, the cowboy in the background is probably Donald Shorty Shea, who was uh, one of the actual victims of the Manson, uh, family. And Clem was the one who murdered him and buried him on the property in real life. So mm -hmm. that's interesting touch that he's still there in the background because yeah. this is like early days of the Manson cult. Mm. Um, so Lancer, that show that he's doing the pilot for yeah. was a real show <laughs> and that was a based on a real episode of that yeah, show. Yeah, I was wondering how many of those the FBI one Every is real. single one of yeah. those things is based on a real episode of a real TV show. Yeah, that, the FBI one, the Bounty Law stuff and the Lancer stuff, all mm. of those are based on real shows and per specific episodes of those real what shows. What about the movies? Like all the westerns he makes and I think those are real, yeah. We know Great Escape is real. Yeah, Great Escape and <laughs> yeah, and obviously the Sharon Tate movies one, that she goes yeah. to see. Um, all right, I'll do one more and then we'll, we'll maybe break into some other stuff. Um, or yeah, one more, uh, Burt Reynolds was originally going to play George Spawn. Yeah. What? I read that. But somewhere. he, but he died before they could film it. So that's why Bruce Dern is in the role, mm -hmm. which is too bad. Burt Reynolds. Um, oh, and I had, oh man, it's farther down here. There's a great, oh, here we go. Uh, something that ties in with that. Uh, Bruce Lee's line in the movie about Cliff being pretty for a stuntman was suggested by Burt Reynolds after he read the script. Hmm. Uh, 
Tarantino said, had the line not been Bert, Bert's, it would never would have made it into the film. Brad doesn't like characters pointing out how good looking he is, <laughs> but because Bert suggested it, how could he say no to including it? <laughs> so I, I thought that was kind of interesting. Yeah. Um, so before I go back into some trivia, once, what are your general thoughts on? Uh, I go back and forth on this movie. Uh, I kind of feel disappointed in it. A little bit. I can see. I that. don't have the same feeling I had after watching Hateful Eight and Glorious Bastards and even Django the second time. Like it just doesn't feel as it feels like something's missing. Yeah. And I don't know if it's like something was edited out or like maybe an extended version would have more, but I don't know. Yeah. I'm, I'm very mixed about it still, even after rewatching it. Yeah, I'm kinda with you on that. It's it's maybe like his only movie that I've watched that I didn't immediately want to rewatch. Yeah. Like, and I really enjoyed it. Like, I think it's really fun and I really like, I really, really love the two main characters. I love yeah. Cliff Booth. Yeah. And Rick I feel Dalton. like it's almost too much packed into one maybe. movie. Like he wanted to show too many things, have too many characters, have too many tie-ins, like, which I get if it's his love letter to Hollywood or whatever and movie theaters, like I like all of that stuff and the production design's great, but Oh yeah. I don't know. It's too disjointed. Maybe so. Maybe so. Um, what about, okay. So I remember the first time we saw it, I thought it was great. I really enjoyed it. And then I was surprised to hear that a lot of my friends were not a huge fans of it because, um, they said that it was Tarantino basically making a whole movie about how much he hates youth culture. And I, I never and really got that vibe. The first time I saw it, I didn't. This last time we watched it, I kind of get that, that it's kind of all about how, um, like, the older generation basically teaches the younger generation and saves the younger generation, like, yeah. saves Sharon Tate, basically, and just literally murders all the hippies. That's true. <laughs> um, but I don't know. I do, I do think it's also, it's not, I think it works both ways. Yeah. That it's not just that he, you know, made great movies and then Hollywood treated him unfairly and then he saved Sharon Tate. I think it's also like the implication in the end is like Sharon Tate also, uh, I don't, not appreciates is not the right word, but like they kind of work together. Like, I feel like maybe, maybe the more night, the pleasant way to put it is not that like he's railing against youth culture, but that he's showing how youth culture and class, like classic movies and new movies can get along kind yeah. of thing that you can like both. Because he obviously has, that's what I was going to say, the movie obviously has like a real love for Sharon Tate and like an appreciation for showing what a good person she was. Yeah. But, um, and obviously saving her, but you know, so I don't know. What, what do you, what do you think about that? I, Cause I, I kind of went back and forth about it between watching it. I mean, I could see like how people would take it that like younger generation sucks, but like that does like he does the same thing in his movies. He takes things from previous generations that yeah, were that's, popular and like makes it his own. Yeah, that's exactly what I mean. Like that's his whole MO is like yeah. taking older things and reappropriating them for his own stories. I don't know. Cause yeah. I don't really know how I feel about the movie still. <laughs> yeah. Uh but those damn hippies. <laughs> that's for sure. They're so gross looking. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't know. <laughs> so let's do let's do a couple more pieces of trivia and then maybe we'll talk about songs. Um so uh 
Oh, speaking of Burt Reynolds, the episode of FBI that Rick is in was a real episode of the show. And in that episode, Burt Reynolds was the villain, was <laughs> the part that Rick Dalton plays where he hops Burt out of the Reynolds? back of the truck with the shotgun. So they didn't get to film anything with him? I got. I don't think so. That sucks. Yeah, it does suck. Uh, but I do love Bruce Stern in it when he's like, uh, he's like, it's Cliff Booth. And he's like, John Wilkes. <laughs> <laughs> he's so confused. Yeah. The whole hippie <laughs> scene. It's very odd. That's definitely one of the more tense moments in the film. Mm -hmm. Cause you're like, what the hell is he going to find when he goes in that back room? <laughs> and like all these hippies are watching him yeah. <laughs> like, and you know, they're insane because they're all Manson followers. <laughs> yeah, I got a lot more to say about that. Yeah. That scene a little bit. <laughs> Um, and then it's just like Bruce Stern in the back. Like, I can't <laughs> what? see. I told you I'm blind. Yeah. <laughs> Wonder how much of that was ad lib. <laughs> yeah, really. Um, Leonardo DiCaprio said that he was starstruck to be on set with one of his teen idols, Luke Perry. Uh, Poor Luke Perry. Yeah, RIP. This cursed. <laughs> uh, a star... A star he'd felt at the time was a new embodiment of James Dean. Leo was particularly delighted to be able to reminisce with Luke about the Hollywood of his youth and about where their career paths took both of them. Mm -hmm. So that was kind of funny. You don't, you don't think about them being that different in age, but Leonardo yeah. DiCaprio was like a big <laughs> Luke Perry fan when he was a teenager. Yeah, or was he on 90210? Uh, Luke Perry? Yeah, I think so. One, one of those big yeah, teen it was. shows. That's um, funny. Yeah, yeah, that would have been big when Leo was a kid <laughs> um tarantino curated and presented a swinging 60s movie marathon of films that was on tv which i don't know how we didn't hear about this uh, hmm. seems like something they would have done on tcm of films that influenced once upon a time in hollywood which broadcast in 80 countries up to the run up to the film's release hmm. so i thought that was kind of neat um at the world premiere at con the scene where brad pitt is who is 55 years old takes off his shirt to show his still muscular yeah, stuntman he physique. He still got it. I love this. Drew gasps and spontaneous applause from the audience as reported by BBC and IndieWire. That's so weird. <gasps> Ooh. Brad Pitt. <laughs> he still has his Troy body. <laughs> um, I, I just to, I'll interject this because I forgot to say it in Hateful Eight. I think the scene in Hateful Eight when Samuel Jackson is telling the story about how he made Bruce Stern's son, uh, give him a blow job before he killed him. <laughs> I think the art, that's the most insane I've ever seen an audience go in a movie theater. Yeah. Like everybody's <laughs> losing their minds during that story. Cause it's so crazy. Definitely. Um, Samuel Jackson's not in this, is he? He is not. Not even like a narration. Uh, I don't Weird. think so. Well, can you think of any black people in this movie at all? Hmm. <laughs> I think Bruce Lee might be the only non Lee, but <laughs> non white character in the movie. That I, that I can think of off the top of my head. Yeah, I didn't notice that before. <laughs> yeah, well, it's Hollywood in the 60s. Yeah. Was not, not surprising, I guess. Could uh, add some black exploitation actor. <laughs> yeah, that's too bad. Pam um, Greer should have been in it. I <laughs> wish. Um, so speak, speaking of Bruce Lee, the controversy around the portrayal of Bruce Lee yeah. caused this movie... I, I think I... I'm not positive because it didn't say in the trivia whether it ever changed, but I don't think this movie ever got distributed to China because the Chinese government wanted him to cut those scenes well, out. Well, I know his family was upset about it, too. What do you think about that? I thought it was a funny scene. Like, I don't... I agree. <laughs> like him being a know-it-all, like, confident jerk. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, to me, it's very obviously a caricature. Yeah. And, and for one, it's a flashback, too, so you yeah. might even be seeing it in a different yeah, way. You're seeing it, really it from was. bad Brad Pitt's character's perspective. Right. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, 
I don't know. It just seems silly to me. Like, and and then the other thing is that he's shown in a better light later when he's like he's yeah, training he's, Sharon Tate, yeah, which like was a real thing a too, time. which is crazy. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, obviously, it's like a cartoonish caricature. Like, you can't. Nobody thinks that's really what Bruce Lee was. I don't like. think any of this movie is real. No. Like, <laughs> but then the other thing, I think it also works great as a way to show you what kind of a person Cliff is, and, yeah, and how strong, and does. you know what a good fighter he is, which plays into the end of the movie, yeah. right? Also, so, there's a flashback within that flashback, right? Yeah. There's like two flashbacks. Yeah, that's the one that's a <laughs> double flashback. It's weird. Yeah. Well, yeah, I think Bruce Lee's like sort of over the top performance in that is just to balance out Cliff's. Yeah. Well, it's to show like, hey, if this guy can beat up Bruce Lee, then yeah, he's, yeah, he's going to be able to take out these, these, hippies, <laughs> these hippies, even when he's high. <laughs> um, all right. You want to hear this is my favorite piece of trivia from the movie. Because this blew my mind when I read this. All right, I'm ready. All right. The hippie who sells Cliff an acid-dipped cigarette? Yes. Is the actress who played Uma Thurman's daughter what? in Kill Bill. Isn't that crazy? <laughs> yeah, I wondered. Who, like, I should have realized that was somebody. Because they like, yeah, why would they spend time on that? It's a weird, yeah, it's yeah, a weird like inclusion. a whole thing about yeah, it. Yeah, <laughs> her name is Perla Haney Jardine. Crazy. Um, yeah, BB <laughs> from Kill up. Bill. Yeah, Maybe. isn't that crazy? <laughs> yeah. Um, all right, I have two two last pieces of trivia. Um, given the nostalgic references to Hollywood lore threaded throughout the film, it could be implied that Cliff's booth... Okay, never mind. I don't, I don't need to read this directly because <laughs> this is weird. They, they're like, it might be implied that Cliff Booth is... Uh, uh, that is, is Robert Wagner who killed Natalie Wood on the boat. You know, like... I duh. That like, of course yeah, it is. Course. Like, her, the, why would they name her Natalie? Tarantino yeah. claims that that was not a reference to Natalie Wood. Like, why would you name Everything that character Natalie? Everything he makes is a reference Natalie to Wood something else. Natalie Wood got killed yeah. on a boat by her husband who got away with and it. And they didn't know if it was, yeah, what happened. Yeah. Um, although that happened in the 80s, so not in the time period of this film. But still, like, it's very clearly supposed to be a reference to that. Like, which is come weird. on, dude. But yeah, that's, that is probably my, the biggest thing, my biggest problem with this movie is I, I think it is funny in context, but then I spent the whole, re both times we watched, it, I spent the whole rest of the movie thinking, oh yeah, this guy who I really like is probably a wife killer. Yeah. <laughs> that's kind of awful. Mill the ocean. <laughs> um, yeah. Like if that part was not in the movie, I would, I would have a lot less qualms about how much I like Cliff Booth. Yeah. <laughs> Which I guess works. Like you don't know if you should be or shouldn't be rooting for this guy. Um, who's obviously, yeah, but very it seems violent. like the movie very clearly wants you to root for him. Like yeah. there's no reason not to, he's like a down and out or, you know, he's he can't a boomer get Harper. Yeah, I don't know. So yeah, I have a problem with that. I, it's, it sucks. Cause I do think it's a funny joke. The way they play it, the way it's yeah. edited is funny that he's just sitting there with the goofy looking goggles on and stuff. Yeah. But yeah. It, I don't know. I'm not sure. The implication is not great, but then like, he's also nice enough or cares enough that he's going to go check on, uh, at spawn ranch, uh, George spawn to make sure he's okay. Right. No. Like, yeah. yeah uh, every, every part other than that, he's <laughs> made out to be like this great guy. He's a good, he's a great friend Yeah. and everything, you know, but yeah, it's weird. Um, all right. He I, just doesn't like ladies. I, <laughs> I included this last piece of trivia specifically for you because you commented Yay. on this when we watched it. <laughs> so here's what it says on IMDb. Sharon Tate puts her feet up on a seat in the <laughs> theater while watching the wrecking crew. If one looks closely, you can see her feet are rather dirty. They're filthy. Yeah, you don't have to look closely. <laughs> yeah, They're very dirty. You don't I, have to. I don't think that's subtle yeah, at all. No. There's a reason for that. 
It says, in real life, Sharon Tate hated wearing shoes and would take any possible opportunity to not wear any in public unless the situation absolutely called for it. She would even go as far as wearing rubber bands on her feet to give the illusion of wearing sandals while she was out eating at restaurants. Who does this sound like to you? Your mom. Yeah. <laughs> My mom who puts her bare feet on Ugh. everywhere in uh, air- you, airplanes. Why would you want to walk down the city street with bare feet? <laughs> This could be glass. Yeah, it seems dangerous <laughs> to me. I'm I'm with you. Unnecessary. But I thought that was a surprise. That was a weirdly realistic. I mean, that's what touch. I figured. You see her barefooted the entire rest of the time, so I was just like, oh, she's just a gross person. Yeah. <laughs> so just another piece of very uh, close to history, accurate to history. Uh, yeah. Piece of makeup in the movie, which is kind of interesting. How do you feel about how she's portrayed with few lines and yeah, stuff? I guess I go back and forth on that too. I feel like she should have had more dialogue. Yes. But I'm not like against it. I, I definitely <laughs> remember the first time seeing it being like, oh, I thought she was going to be in the movie. I thought a it was a waste more. of Margot Robbie, yes. like performance wise. But she does do a really good job. And apparently she did like a ton of research and, yeah. and talked with um, Sharon Tate's sister a lot. And yeah, but um, yeah, I wish, yeah, I mean, the w- the way she is portrayed in the scene she's in is great because I think the whole point is to not, is to show you who Sharon Tate was aside from the murders because now, at this point now, nobody t- thinks about Sharon Tate in any other yeah. context besides the fact that she's horribly murdered. Um, she's a nice girl. So Tarant- <laughs> I think in, Tarantino is trying to give her like, you know, make people see her in a different light and who she actually was aside from that horrible thing that happened to her. Um, but Yes, I agree. She should have been in the movie way more if that was the case. Yeah. I guess, yeah, that's just my problem with the movie. There's so many different, like, subplots going on that you don't really get a good taste of any of them. Except, well, even, like, with the Manson stuff. Like, Manson himself is in it for, like, two scenes. One scene. And the, in the, there's a, a deleted scene, but otherwise it's just the one oh, time yeah. when he shows up and sees Sharon. Which is re- was real. That whole scene is like word for word what really happened, I think. Yeah. Um, I think I heard that they did shoot more and like an extended version would have more mm. of it. But like, yeah, that stuff's... There's a lot going on with uh, Rick Dalton, which that's probably what we get the most out of is oh, their sure. relationship. So like all the Manson stuff kind of feels like tacked on. Like, oh, by the way, this was all happening. <laughs> like, Right. It does feel like, I remember when they announced this, we were like, wow, he's going to yeah, do a movie I about, it the, was Manson about the Manson family. <laughs> right. And that's definitely background. Like, yeah. I mean, two major scenes take place with them, obviously, but I wouldn't say the movie's about. Them. No. Um, so I think that's, it's just, yeah, disjointed oh, for me. Can I throw out another piece of trivia I didn't write down? Guess who Do they? <laughs> guess who they originally was going to play? Charles Manson. Charles Manson. Charlie Day. Oh my God! I don't know if I could take that seriously. <laughs> yeah, I don't think I could. I, he could do it great. He definitely has the look and the personality. He yeah. could pull it off. Well, whoever they got, I think he's already played Manson like five yeah, other times. Yeah, he played now. Manson in uh, Mindhunter for yeah. sure. He's where he had more than two lines. Yeah. <laughs> um. Also, shout out to the Steve McQueen guy who looks just like Steve McQueen. <laughs> yeah. Damian Lewis. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I love that scene at the Playboy Mansion too, where they kind of lay everything out. That's great. Yeah. Um, um so Michelle. Yes. Tell me your favorite scene from Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. So I have two. We kind of already talked about one. I like the Bruce Lee fight scene. Because I think okay. you learn a lot about the characters. But it's got to be the flamethrower scene at the end for me. <laughs> the hi- hippie killing scene, uh, I guess. Pretty, pretty great. <laughs> um, other than that, 
I do. I appreciate all the little um, things that he created for the movie, like Bounty Law and the commercials and all oh, of that stuff. I love the radio that plays on the yeah. KWV or oh, whatever it yeah. is. Yeah, I'll talk love. about the music when we get okay. to that. <laughs> I love that that because you really get a sense like watching the movie i was like oh yeah there was a time when like the radio was like the one thing everybody had in common was yeah. like the local station everybody listened to it everybody knew those djs and so it's like it's like a soundtrack for real life at that yeah. point and but, it, um, i love the, that background yeah the best thing about this movie is probably the ending for me with the flamethrower stuff because throughout the whole thing you're you're it's building up to it and like you even see the flamethrower in his shed early on and they reference his like inglorious bastards style uh-huh. movie that he's in. Die you yeah. Nazis <laughs> bastards. <laughs> um, so yeah, that, that payoff is worth it. <laughs> oh, they said I was another little piece of trivia is when they show uh, Rick Dalton using the flame, practicing with the flamethrower. Yeah. His reaction to it. That was his real reaction. Yeah. Was like, God dang it. This thing is hot or whatever. <laughs> like that was really yeah. Leonardo DiCaprio. <laughs> And then uh, Brad Pitt, like, yeah, for me, like their, their relationship is like the most well thought out and like all the little clues like left behind throughout the film, it all comes together. Mm-hmm. It's satisfying for that. Yeah. They're, they're, the thread between the two of them is definitely the best part of the movie for sure. Yeah. And they're, they're a, a, a great movie duo, a buddy movie pair yeah. that will definitely, you know, that that's probably the Have part of the movie that stays the test. Together? I don't think so. I don't think they had because I feel like I read in the trivia that it was like that they had such a good time with each other. They agreed they want to make another movie together. Yeah, I was trying to think. Which is crazy. You think the two Because Leo's been in Django and Brad Pitt's been in Inglorious. Right. But, Neither no, of them were in never, the others. Yeah. They're just too busy. <laughs> Be BFFs. <laughs> uh, what about your favorite song? You said well, you had something to say. What's your favorite scene? Oh, yeah, I didn't get to say. <laughs> uh, my favorite scene is Spawn Ranch, for sure. That's my favorite part of the whole movie. It's very tense. Yeah. It's super tense. It changes the whole, like, feel and of the movie at that point. I, I remember one thing uh, our friend Kyle said that uh, I remember feeling the exact same way was that this has got to be the only movie in history where you're watching the movie and there's a chance Brad Pitt might die. <laughs> yeah, that's like, true. <laughs> only in a Tarantino movie could that actually happen. Yeah. And you really feel like there's a, he's not going to make it out of this alive because you know what's going on. I it's super tense. I thought there was going to be a gross dead body like in seven. <laughs> yeah. Brad Pitt's seen enough of that. Um, and it was interesting that it said Tarantino wanted that part of the movie to feel like Texas Chainsaw, and it absolutely Definitely. does. He the should do a design, Texas Chainsaw dude, movie. Dude, I could talk for <laughs> days about just the sound design of the Spawn Ranch scene. All the background sounds are just everything's there to make you feel like what ill at ease. <laughs> I mean, there's like sounds of like metal scraping from the wind, and like yeah, the like creeps. a dog. And every shot of the, every shot in Spawn Ranch has a dog. I think just yeah. about which I was a reference to some other movie. I can't remember what, but dog ranch <laughs> um but yeah i mean that whole scene is so intense that's that's definitely my favorite part of the movie yeah and i and and it's it's got some great just great bits too and he's like i love cliff booth when he's just like no nah, i think i'm gonna go check yeah. it out for myself <laughs> um so yeah that's my favorite scene that's a good one well yeah like the two scenes there's two major scenes yeah are, those are the two yeah. the two manson scenes yeah, yeah. Go, go figure <laughs> Um, so favorite song? Yeah. All right. So first I have a problem with this movie and the music, but my favorite song, I put Jenny take a ride. Which one's that? Um, it goes that's the problem right there. Yeah. 
think it's when he's driving maybe on the on the highway and yeah. he maybe is gonna pick up one of the hitchhiker girls yeah but i'm not 100 percent sure and that's why i have a problem with this movie that all the songs are like 20 seconds long and you yep. can't enjoy any of them and none of them actually help the scene other than hey it's the 70s or 60s <laughs> i agree i think this is his least successful soundtrack he did too much like yeah there's too much and to me yeah. none of the songs really stand out like you think about reservoir dogs you think about like the stuck in the middle and and little green bag like yeah. those songs like really stand out as being a big part of the scene and like you know Jackie Brown the opening the opening and closing parts yeah. of the movie with the song uh, with the 110th street like those songs super nothing in this movie stands out um it's sound, like somebody it's just a lot it's a good background like period piece background yeah. but none of them like cinematically serve the movie it's like nobody wanted to tell him like hey you should cut it back a little for this whole movie yeah <laughs> It's too Tarantino. <laughs> it just, yeah, it just none of the songs like play a part in the way you feel about the scene. It's always just background. Yeah, and like I can even appreciate like the radio bits and stuff, but like, does Brad Pitt have to change the song ten times like in yeah. one car ride? Happens, Probably happens not. Too much for sure. <laughs> uh, mine, mine was uh, the Vanilla Fudge song. You keep me hanging on. Yeah, it's a good song. I don't remember what part it's from, no but idea. it's a good song. Yeah, that's a, that's a major problem, right there. Yeah. That we can't even remember at all when that happened. <laughs> um, oh, I totally did not write this down. What? So I have to think of it right now. What do you think this movie does better than his other movies? Production design. Yeah, that's probably what I would go with. Too. I didn't write something down, so I'm gonna just agree with you. Yeah, it's just. I mean, the movie itself. It all feels accurate. I'm sure he took a ton of time figuring out every single like can label and cereal box and the cars. Like, yeah, the, all the, the cars. The, the, oh, it's filming said, the shows in the right way. Like, yeah, it's there was something in the trivia about like they made all these storefronts for all the stores on the strip. Yeah, um, to look like 1969. A bunch of the stores like put up a big fight against it, but then after the movie was finished, they all a lot of them kept those old signs because they thought it was cooler. The <laughs> retro should. versions yeah. were much better. Um, and then I also appreciate all the movie theaters that was either featured or created like the drive-in i'm surprised there wasn't a real drive-in to use you said it was a mini yeah it's a miniature yeah which looks great you'd never know yeah everything looks great the lighting's um, great so i'll, say, yeah, I'll say this movie has great sound design too actually yeah i don't i didn't really pay attention too much to it i the, guess the cards in particular are really well but done. like the music's constantly playing over it so who Perhaps. can appreciate it but the, the yeah the, there's a lot of great stuff with the cars and like the way I, I remember reading something about that they even made the car that the manson kids are driving have like a menacing dark kind of well yeah and it's like it. polluting the hell out of that street yeah. <laughs> like they need emissions check like, what the hell are y'all doing <laughs> yeah. on my quiet street this my, is a private drive playing property taxes yeah. out the butt <laughs> I love, that's a great scene yeah that is a great scene he's such a that's that's the quintessential old man yelling yeah. at the youth part yeah for sure <laughs> But then they're even like, is that Rick Dalton? Yeah. Oh, man, I used to love <laughs> <Yeah>. Downey Law. <laughs> um, also, uh, Uma Thurman's daughter is in that scene. Right, that's right. Uma Thurman and uh, Ethan Hawke. And I'm so glad she runs away. <laughs> yeah, I know. She was, so she's playing Linda Kasabian, I think. Uh, they don't say her name, but that's who she's 
obviously supposed to be, um, who stayed in the car during the murder. Mm. So she was a, she was a, the biggest material witness for the trial. Yeah. In real life. Oh, I also have to say one part of the movie that completely ruined everything for me was seeing Lena Dunham show up. Mm. Ugh. You remember? Like, why remember, did you cast her? Do you remember a time when we loved <laughs> Lena Dunham? Yeah, first season of Girls, amazing. Yeah. Second season, still well, okay. Well, she, she really, uh, yeah, she really kind of. But then she got weird. And she and talked like, about ugh. having baths with her sister. Yeah, no, putting rocks up her. I'm not getting okay. into it. <laughs> I think we all know what yeah. you intend to say. Like, I mean, I guess she's creepy. <laughs> like, yeah. she can be a creepy Manson person, but. Yeah, don't give her money. There's somebody <laughs> Let else. Her disappear. I'm trying to remember now because I already had way too much trivia. There's somebody interesting in the uh, in the crowd of Manson girls that's been in another movie or something. Some other actress. I'm not sure. I don't know, but none, none of the other ones really stood out. Yeah. Oh, so I did have some connections too. This one's got yeah. some good ones. Uh, so my first one I wrote down was Red Apple. My God. <gasps> Really? Because that was in this yeah. one. <laughs> this one even got that red apple commercial, commercial at the end of the credits. Yeah, yeah. Um, the Cadillac. I can't remember who drives the Cadillac, but the Cadillac in the movie is Michael Madsen's car, the mm. same one that they drove around in Reservoir Dogs. Well, I thought that was Quentin Tarantino's car. Oh, it's Michael Madsen's car. Oh. The Cadillac is. <laughs> um, one of the Italian films that Rick stars in is directed by Antonio Margheriti. Margheriti. <laughs> so obviously, Donnie Don <laughs> Donnie Donowitz in uh, Inglorious Bastards. That's his fake Italian name. It's Margheriti. <laughs> you can't tell, but I'm doing the Italian yeah. hand thing. You Margheriti. Um, Tarantino described Daisy Domergu from Hateful Eight in interviews as a Manson girl out west, like Susan Atkins or something. Mm. So I thought that was kind of interesting. She's kind of based on a Manson girl. Um, and the last one, uh, the billboard outside of the Pantages theater announces the movie three in the attic starring Yvette Mimo. This is the last name used by Shoshana Dreyfus for her disguise as theater owner, Emmanuel Mimo. I don't know how you say it. Mimio? 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 It's like, yeah, Mimio maybe in Inglorious Passage. So, yeah. so it's, you know, maybe supposed to be her. Cool. Yeah. Well, obviously, it's not supposed to be her because she would be dead. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know. She did. Harper, maybe she died. <laughs> a, a relative of some sort. <laughs> but, yeah. So, I guess and we're ending the d filmography on a little bit of a, uh, you know, sh shoulder shrug. I like, like movie theaters. <laughs> I mean, I like I like Once Upon a Time in Hollywood a lot. It's still I much, think it's worth seeing. It's still solid. Yeah, it's much better than your average movie at the theater. Yeah. And it's still definitely got a Tarantino touch to it. But... Yeah, it's not, it's not something. one of my favorites. I'm waiting for the extended version. Yeah, I'd be interested to see that. I was disappointed that one on the Blu-ray. How long was this one? I don't know. Pretty long. Let's see. It was two hours, 41 minutes. So around like Django. It's yeah. a little shorter than Django. Yeah. So um, I guess the last thing we wanted to do was to talk about our ranking of Tarantino's movies. So we've we've talked about 10 movies over these last two Tarantino episodes. So, so. I have a ranking, but it might change a week from now. So mm -hmm. nobody hold this. I, 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 I ranked mine like a week ago. And then like yesterday, I changed. I changed mine like three. 10 minutes ago. Yeah. <laughs> so let me just say, first of all, before we rank that for me, anyways, all 10 of these are great movies. Yeah. They're all at least four all out of five. Them average most of four them are stars. Yeah. Most yeah. of them are five or four and a half. Yeah. Um, and all of them are absolutely worth watching. Yeah. Quintessential American movie, you know, movies. Definitely. So, 
Um, yeah, even the worst one, even the one at the bottom of my list is still arguably a masterpiece. Do you want to rank from top to bottom or I'd say, worst I'd to I say best? bottom to top. Bottom you to wanna top? You want to go first? Sure. So these bottom three <laughs> are sort of all around each other. So I'm going to put Reservoir Dogs as my least favorite, but it's still my favorite. It's okay. just I probably wouldn't want to watch it like a lot. Okay. So that's why I put it at the bottom. Number nine, I put Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. So far, our lists are identical. <laughs> um, just because, like, I thought maybe it would be bumped up uh, after we rewatched it, but I actually bumped it down yeah, more. Yeah, I did the same, actually. So I was yeah. like, eh, I enjoy my number eight pick, Death Proof, okay. uh, more. Now we now we diverge. So, yeah, Death Proof, I want to put it higher, but really, like, because I only enjoy, like, the second half more than the first half. It isn't as like consistent. Across you don't, you the don't board. like that scene in the first half when she's looking at the text message on her phone and it's playing <laughs> blowout. <laughs> and you never know who that yeah, person that is. She's so it has nothing to do with anything ever. <laughs> yeah. So death proof's fun and I would rewatch it a lot. It's just not the same caliber as all the other films. So number seven, I have kill bill volume two. Okay. Um, because I think we've mentioned like this one, it doesn't feel, it doesn't have as, as much action as the first one. So I ranked it lower. Yeah, that's um, the same place I have Kill Bill too. Yeah. Number six, I have Django. I bumped it up. It used to be like my number 10, um, but after rewatching it, it's pretty enjoyable. Okay. So, so far. In a gross, disturbing way. <laughs> my bottom five are in a different order, but they're the same bottom five. Okay. <laughs> so that's interesting. So number five, I have Kill Bill, volume one. Okay. Uh, great action. It's a little over the top. Um just a little yeah a little over top and the plot isn't as like it's pretty one-dimensional i guess um number four jackie brown uh it's pretty solid like i can watch this one a lot and we just watched it yeah like, if you didn't, right? <laughs> um but i guess it's not as like action-packed as some of the other ones um although i won't get into it we've just discussed all mm. 10 movies number three pulp fiction okay this got bumped up recently after we watched it, too, because I forgot how amazing it is. <laughs> it sure is. Uh, so number two and number one, I probably alternate these back and forth every day. But number two, I'm putting The Hateful Eight because it's amazing. Mm -hmm. um, and number one, Inglorious Bastards, because it's the best of everything. All right. That's a solid. I could I could get on board with that. Like I could. I could foresee a world in which I have. <laughs> Do you have mine the exact is, same? <laughs> mine is not that different. Do we have the same bottom five and top five? Yes. Okay. We, Just different We definitely order. split the halves in, in, in the same place. Yeah. yeah. So for me, I get the same bottom two. Reservoir Dogs is at the bottom. And then Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I think Reservoir Dogs is probably a better movie than Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, but I foresee myself rewatching Once Upon a Time in Hollywood yeah. more frequently than Reservoir Dogs. Yeah. That's the only reason. Um. Uh, number eight is Django. All right. Um, which is great. Uh, next number seven is Kill Bill Volume Two. It's the same place you had it. Yeah. Uh, number six is Death Proof. Was that that used so to be that pretty jumped up? Yes, a lot. That used to be near the bottom <laughs> of my list. But honestly, I think of all ten of these movies, Death Proof is the one I'm I'm ready to rewatch right now because yeah. just because it's for a, a it's a, a fantastic and super fun. B it's super short which yeah. is a big plus. Just and it to has Kurt Russell. <laughs> yeah. So that gives it a big, uh, big jump up for me is just the rewatchability of it. Um, number five is Pulp Fiction. So these top five, all five of them are, I mean, all of these are fantastic movies, but these yeah. top five are just 
perfect. Just depends what mood you're in. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Five is Pulp Fiction. Four is Kill Bill. Three is The Hateful Eight. Number three? Yeah. <laughs> Where, are you surprised? No. Number two is Jackie Brown, which yeah. was my favorite for a long, <laughs> long time. Uh, and number one is Inglorious Bastards. So I think for me, those top five are masterpieces, and those top three are probably his three. Uh, that's Hateful Eight, Jackie Brown, and Glorious Bastards are his three movies that actually have something to say besides Look How Cool I Am. That's true. Um, I can see that, yeah. And that's to me, that's a, one of the reasons why they're the Pulp top Pulp Fiction's three. all about being cool, though. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's what I mean. Like, all his movies are about, you know, being cool, check out how cool, cool this is. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood has something to say, but I don't know that I agree with it. Yeah, <laughs> so, I don't really know what he's saying yet. <laughs> but, but uh, and Django maybe also has something to say, but, um, but most of them are just, I mean, Death Fruit doesn't have a message, right? No. <laughs> Reservoir Dogs is just a chance to rant about Marilyn, uh, not Marilyn, sorry. Madonna. Madonna, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I think at least we agree 100% and Glorious Bastards is his best movie. No yes. question. I, like, I want to say Jackie Brown because that's my favorite. Like, if I'm just saying, like, personally, the one yeah. that like, I connect with the most is Jackie Brown, but in Glorious Bastards, I connect with and it's also a masterpiece like, and you can rewatch it a lot made. too it's enjoyable totally yeah and let's bloody. watch it right now I you just watched it. it like two yeah, days ago yeah I didn't ago. get a chance to rewatch <laughs> it I think it's the only one of these that I haven't watched in the last like month actually I didn't yeah. get a chance to rewatch it but it is my favorite for sure <laughs> I've seen it a couple times so that's our uh, that's the bulk of our Tarantino episode. So thanks what, for bearing with us. Yeah, I know that was <laughs> wasn't intended to be a two part episode, and obviously this one turned out pretty long too. Um, but uh, so now what we're going to do is go into our mini segment where we're going to do a very quick take on movies that Tarantino wrote but didn't direct. So some some of the kind of outlier Tarantino stuff. So stay tuned for that. To finish off our two-volume epic Tarantino showdown, we're going to talk about four films that came out between 1993 and 1996 that he was involved with. We're calling this segment Bonus Features. 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 <laughs> Coming to a theater near you in the past. <laughs> um, so the first movie we're going to talk about is True Romance, which Harper, I think, is your favorite of these. Oh, it's definitely my favorite. Tarantino written, not directed movie. <laughs> so what did he do with this? He only wrote it. He wrote the script. So I think we might've talked about this in the first part uh, of Tarantino. Cause he wrote this and Reservoir Dogs at the same time. And maybe Natural Born Killers. He might've had all three that he was shopping around. Maybe. Cause Tony Scott wanted to direct Re um, Reservoir Dogs, I think. Mm -hmm. And instead he bought true, you know, Tarantino convinced him to buy to option true romance. And so he directed that. Um, I, I like true romance a lot. I like it a lot, except, well, let's say what, it, let's t say what it's about for people who haven't seen it. All right. So you explain it. Okay. Um, basically it's, I mean, it's at its core, it's just like a, it's a romance story about it's a true romance, Clarence and, uh, Alabama, right. I think uh, which so. is, um, Christian Slater and Patricia Arquette. Uh, and they fall in love and then basically he, they have to go on the run because, uh, Clarence kills her, her pimp, pimp. <laughs> and then they have to go on the run and they have all this cocaine they're trying to sell off that they can, uh, so they can like 
you know, escape and live their happy life together, start mm-hmm. a family. Um, so it's a kind of a crime slash romance movie. Um, it's Bonnie and Clyde if Bonnie was a sex worker. <laughs> sure. That's a, yeah, you could say that. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I, I like it. Uh, Christian Slater's eyebrows are always weird to me. but <laughs> oh, Yeah, I love Christian Slater. Um, but I know we have opposite opinions on this. I hate the, uh, like, marimba score. I, I don't know. <laughs> love the main theme of this movie. It's one of my favorite main themes mm-hmm. of movies ever. just feels so it's just dates the movie and who too composed much. that score hans mother f-u-c-k and zimmer <laughs> he branched out a little bit <laughs> uh, this was pretty early for him yeah 1993 yeah. um but yeah i mean the, well the cast in this movie is crazy it's got uh well, yeah every oh it has the best gary oldman performance yes. ever <laughs> uh, what's his character's name um Gary Drexel. Oldman plays Drexel. her her pimp, yeah, <laughs> and he has dreadlocks and like a glass eye or something, I think it's and just gold or gold uh, teeth. Yeah, <laughs> it's awesome. Oh, it is awesome. Yeah, uh, it's got Dennis Hopper and James Gandolfini, Brad Pitt, Christopher Walken. Oh yeah, Brad Pitt's like he's the stoner roommate. Yeah. <laughs> I love his character in this. I wish he was in it more, actually. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So I think yeah, I definitely like this one a lot. Um, I just, I can't stand the score. <laughs> and, and I wish there weren't a lot of like problematic racial things in the movie too. <laughs> Particularly yeah. the, the scene between Dennis Hopper and, and Christopher Walken is like really uncomfortably yeah. uh, problematic now. <laughs> but I think the characterization of the two main characters, and it, it's like a genuinely great romance movie to me. Like it's a great, their relationship and their personalities are really fleshed out and interesting and fun. Yeah. But marrying somebody within th- like two days, one day. Yeah, but it's a romance. They get married movie. in it's like not a ba- day. It's not supposed to be real. It's supposed to be a romance. Okay. Uh, Who knew Tarantino was a softie? Uh, yeah, I love that in the entire movie, it seems like Patricia Arquette maybe was breaking character and laughing all the time. <laughs> like, it almost seems like she's out, like it's a mistake, but it works so well. She's uh, very giggly. Yeah, I like the scene where she's like beating up James Gandolfini. Oh, or they're beating each other up and she's just like crazy and bloody and like... I'm yeah. not going to tell you. S-H-I-T. That scene is awesome. <laughs> yeah. So, true yeah. romance. True romance. All right. Uh, so next up, let's see. The following year, 1994, we have Natural Born Killers, uh, directed by Oliver Stone, written, or it says the story was by Tarantino. Yeah, and I, I, don't, I don't know what the difference is. I don't know the details, <laughs> but I think... I don't know if Tarantino wrote a script or just had the story for this. And then it was rewritten by, I think, Oliver Stone, who directed oh, it, re- okay. rewrote it. And Tarantino hates this movie. Oh, apparently, he does? Which is surprising a yeah. little. Yeah. Um, so the movie, it stars Woody Harrelson, Juliette Lewis, Tom Sizemore, Tommy Lee Jones. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, and it's... And Robert Downey Jr. Oh, yeah. He's like the tv dude he's crazy um so it's also like another romance movie um yeah you, it was funny to me that you said true romance was bonnie and clyde because this literally is bonnie I mean, and clyde yeah this is like i don't know manson family this is bonnie and clyde for mtv <laughs> yeah uh so woody harrelson and Juliet lewis are definitely have uh traumatized like past childhoods mm-hmm. abuse um but they sort of fall in love and then bonnie and clyde it across america murdering people until they get caught and sent to prison 
where their adventures don't end there. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. Then it gets even crazier. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I uh, don't know if I like... Uh, I definitely like this one. I think I liked it more than you did. Yeah, I have mixed feelings about it, to be honest. It's shot very Oliver Stoney. <laughs> yeah, there was some trivia about it that it's like... Uh, about how many edits there are and that this there's like four or five different kinds of film stock use because there's yeah. like VHS and there's like 16 mil, there's like black, black and white, white, there's color. Yeah. yeah, I think there may be some animated stuff maybe or am I yeah, making that up? Yeah, there's animated. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's all over the place. I, I, think, I think some of the like experimental kind of abstract stuff works better than others. Like I, I think the thing with Juliette Lewis's um, parents where it plays out like a 50s sitcom, oh God, except that it's so like, bizarre. except that it's like hyper <laughs> awful and, and yeah. violent. Uh, what's his name? Rod, Rodney, Rodney Dangerfield. Yeah. He's like, he definitely rapes her. Yeah. Um, and it's like, but you had the laugh track from like the TV. Yeah. Show. It's like, like he ah! says this horrible stuff and then they, yeah. it's treated like a joke. It's like, Oh, this is awful. <laughs> yeah. But it's really, in, I mean, I think that's super effective, but some of the stuff is just a little over the little too much. Like the prison riot yeah. to me, that's not I actually like the prison. Riot. I like the prison riot. Okay. But to me, this movie's at least a half hour too long. It's way too that. long. Yeah. But Tommy Lee Jones in the as the prison warden is yeah, amazing. That is true. <laughs> Best Tommy he's Lee ever. Screaming and he's so like frantic and crazy the whole time. Yeah, yeah. Tommy, this might be my favorite Tommy <laughs> Jones. Performance. I totally forgot he was in this. Yeah, I haven't seen he's it so in years. So spastic, it's awesome. Yeah. Um, and then also Woody Harrelson, I like him in this too. Yeah, he's good. I mean, he's always good. I, I, don't, I can't yeah. think of anything I don't like him in really. Um, yeah, I mean, this movie is too, it's too over the top for me to like take. It's very stylized. Like to me, it's like this movie is begging to be taken seriously as like a treaty on like violence in the media, but it's too over the top to yeah. to really be taken seriously. So I, I don't know. I kind of mix things about it, but I do like it. There are definitely some awesome scenes and segments pulling it together. Yes. So I think that's why I like, oh yeah, I'll like it. I'll watch it again. I agree with that for sure. <laughs> also, the like weird drugstore that's like all green neon inside. I like that scene too. Oh uh, yeah, I forgot about that. That is cool. <laughs> like a good shootout. <laughs> yeah. Um. So yeah, Natural Born Killers. Mm-hmm. Next up is Four Rooms from 1995. Mm-hmm. And so this is four different segments and Tarantino wrote and directed one segment of it. Yeah, and I, I and I think he produced the whole thing too. Him and Robert Rodriguez produced it together, I think. Yeah, and it stars Tim Roth. He is a bellhop in a hotel. It's New Year's Eve, and basically he's going. He goes to four different rooms in the hotel. He's the only one in charge, and crazy stuff happens in each room. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's all just like little yeah segments. And this is the only one that I had never seen before, and I would suspect it's probably the least seen one we're talking about of all the Tarantino Probably. movies because it's not real main, well known, I don't think, but it was, I mean, I think we rented it on Amazon for a couple of bucks, but yeah. um, it's a mix. I mean, like all anthologies, it's a very mixed bag and I would yeah. say it's more bad than good. Probably. Yeah. For me, I like, I really like one of the two segments of yeah. uh, four segments. We'll see if we agree on. I'm sure one. we agree on the one. And then I really like the ending, but like everything uh-huh. in between, it's like, yeah. Yeah. So the first two segments, which I can't remember the directors of those two, but um, there's, there's Allison like, Anders th- and Alexandra Rockwell. Yeah. Um, and I think, 
I can't remember which one is which, but one of them is about like a coven of witches who's trying That's to like Alison Anders. Okay, so she hers is trying to they're trying to make like a sacrifice to um bring back like their witch goddess who, who died, died in, in the, the hotel? hotel or something. Yeah, that's uh, a little weird too. <laughs> it's got some kind of love witchy vibes to it, which is kind of fun, but it's yeah. I don't know. It's just it's very it's 90s. A, it's like, a weird one to start the craft. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's a really <laughs> odd one to start the movie with. Yeah, I could see that. Um, um the second one was Alexandra Rockwell. And he did the wrong man. I assume that's a dude. Yeah, that's the one. Oh, I don't know. Alexander or Alexandra? Dra? Alexandra? Alexandra. Yeah, Alexandra. <laughs> um, yeah that's no the idea. one that's like a kind of a hostage situation thing, right? Yeah, it's like, I don't remember who's in the segment, but it's like a husband and wife are fighting and the wife is tied up. And then Tim Roth comes in and he's like think the husband thinks he's cheating on uh, that she was with cheating his, with tim yeah. roth yeah and that he was also tim roth throughout all of this is insane he's oh, so campy and over the top he's he's <laughs> the only part of this movie that i think is 100 percent worth watching for yeah he like tim roth it shows you the kind of range he has where you usually see him as most of the stuff i've seen him and he's a very serious he's got some quirks and he's funny for sure but yeah He's definitely mostly like playing these very serious roles. Whereas this, he's like a cartoon character. Yeah, he he's is so goofy. <laughs> he's very like weird and um, uh, flamboyant and uh, very, all of his movements are like super exaggerated. Yeah. It's, that part's a lot of fun. I've never seen his hips move so much. I haven't seen anybody's <laughs> hips move so much. Yeah. Um, so yeah, wrong man. It was okay. I think that one was too long too. I don't know. I agree. Um, and then the third room was probably my favorite segment. Me too. Uh, and it's Robert Rodriguez, and it's called The Misbehaviors. And yeah. it's uh, Antonio Banderas being a fool. <laughs> 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 so weird in this, too. Um, it's like him and his wife decide to go out alone for New Year's Eve, and they leave Tim Roth in charge of their kids uh, in the hotel room. But yeah, it's crazy. It gets yeah. It starts out as just like they're getting into trouble, and it gets crazier and crazier as it yeah. goes on. I'm gonna take a bold statement here and say that segment of forums is my favorite thing Robert Rodriguez has ever done. Uh, yeah, I don't know if I like that more. Death, uh, not death. Planet Terror. Yeah, I think I like Planet Terror more. Maybe, but this but is a close. I mean, this really is good. like a good. Uh, for a, a, like a short it's yeah. awesome like if this segment wasn't in this movie i couldn't recommend it at yeah. all but this segment is really just great. watch the beginning so you know who tim roth's character is <laughs> in the last two segments yeah. <laughs> um that one's super fun and antonio banderas is like he's like a mustache twirling yeah it's yeah. awesome it's really funny <laughs> there may or may not be a dead hooker involved <laughs> and, but yeah the end it all it's really funny and it's just a bunch of like funny cartoonish stuff happening and then the payoff at the end is so worth yeah. it it's fantastic <laughs> definitely um and then the last segment is called the man from hollywood and quentin tarantino directed this and stars in it mm -hmm. <laughs> so so there, uh, and that's the, you, so you just told me what's great about it and what sucks yeah. about it. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't really remember. It's just like a bunch of like Hollywood stars in the penthouse uh -huh. and including Bruce Willis. Oh yeah, Bruce Willis is uncredited because he he, he broke, like broke SAG, SAG awards to, to be it, yeah. in this. He didn't get paid for this role. Bruce Willis is good in it. Um and so they they basically have a bet and they need Tim Roth's character to witness it and be a part of it. Yeah. And what do you know? It's a Tarantino movie. So it's based on something that happened in a TV show yeah. like 50 <laughs> or a movie. I can't remember which. So, yeah, this part, 
it's fine. I like it more than the first two rooms. Agreed. And it's my second favorite, but also my but third only least favorite. Because yeah, of the ending. I think it ends perfectly. The last it like builds up and builds up. Yeah. And it's like, where is this going? This is like <laughs> to me, this is like a trial run for like his most suspenseful great scenes like in Inglorious Bastards yeah. or Hateful Eight or something. <laughs> Except this is not done very well until the last like yeah. two or three minutes of it are great i mean you got your long like dialogues and you're like all right he's yeah i think the beginning of this one it's like whatever. eight or nine <laughs> minutes of a one shot um yeah but but yeah big part of the problem is that tarantino is the main character of this one and yeah he's not a good actor in sorry most tarantino i hope we never meet face to face yeah i yeah it's a it's an interesting setup and the end of it is a great payoff for the end of the movie yeah um but yeah it's it's a little annoying and kind of pretentious yeah so i would recommend four rooms if it was free i'd be like yeah i'll watch it definitely um but yeah. if you have to actually pay for it then eh. if you're if you're, if you're a completionist, in quarantine right now and you need yeah, you like run out of things of to watch <laughs> complete yeah. his filmography <laughs> um so yeah four rooms yep. uh and then last but not least is from dusk till dawn I said it right. Yep. What, <laughs> uh, did you, what did you keep calling it while we were just talking? before dawn? That's right. <laughs> um, so it came out in 1996. It's directed by Robert Rodriguez, but it's written by Quentin Tarantino, and he also stars in it, which just makes this movie creepy but, and awkward. <laughs> you know, it's kind of cool though that I always forget. It's the screenplay is written by Tarantino, but it's based on a story by Robert Kurtzman, the yeah. special effects artist. Which that's really cool. It and I, we might have talked about this in the first part that it was something like. Kurtzman agreed to work on Pulp Fiction or Reservoir Dogs or something if mm. Tarantino agreed to write a screenplay based on his idea for this. Mm. That's kind of funny. So I've seen this once before and I didn't really remember it and I didn't remember liking it. Yeah. And now that we've seen it again, I don't really like it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it feels like two different movies stitched together and then i don't know i felt really gross watching it <laughs> it was like this is just pervy and weird and i i don't get the payoff <laughs> yeah well yeah it's like in theory this movie sounds really interesting it's like oh it's a crime movie except that's interrupted or invaded by yeah. like a vampire movie oh, yeah, i guess through. we should say what it's about <laughs> yeah it's about the two two brothers which are played by george clooney and Quentin Tarantino, Tarantino, the Gecko brothers, who are on like a crime spree and they're trying to escape to Mexico. They uh, take a family hostage. It's Harvey Keitel and Juliette Lewis, and I don't know the other kids' yeah, name, but um, kidnaps them to in their RV to make it across the border. And then when they get across, they end up in a bar that is full of vampires. Yeah. So, Sounds interesting on paper. <laughs> I like the first half. I like the crime part a lot. Actually, I, I feel like I would like both halves except separately. Yes. Yeah. The, except the second half to me, the va whole vampire bit is not well developed at all. No. Like it doesn't feel like a horror movie. It's not, um, I don't know. It feels like you don't get enough time to really pay off any of the stuff that happens there. And it's like all the yeah. interesting vampires are killed off immediately when they start, when they turn into vampires. Like, yeah. you know, so there's not a and lot the of motivation behind like the people who are, who have been taken hostage like oh suddenly we're all bffs and we're gonna kill vampires together yeah. like i feel like that should have been built up more along the way yeah instead it's just like oh nope now we're all gonna fight you know it's <laughs> funny i hadn't thought about it till just now but what might might have made this movie way better this movie feels like it's the second movie in a series yeah and that 
it would this would be way cool if this was a crime movie and then they got to this bar and we as viewers already knew that the bar was full of vampires and we were like oh no they're stopping here like if this was like if there was already a movie about the vampire bar and then this is them yeah like getting trapped in it but because yeah i don't know it just doesn't work that well for me i don't know exactly why well for me, Quentin Tarantino is just too sleazy in it. <laughs> yeah, he's really He's kind of like schizophrenic, I guess. He hears or sees, hears voices. And so, like, yeah, well, he's definitely like a, a he's like a dr- straight pedophile in this yeah. movie. <laughs> um, and also, the most obvious uh, reference to his very obvious foot fetish, foot fetish yeah. where he drinks beer from uh, Salma Hayek's foot. <laughs> like all right <laughs> as if we didn't get that already i don't think we needed this scene <laughs> yeah, but he did i felt bad for he her he needed it real bad i know i was like no Hayek. <laughs> <laughs> she deserves better uh i think the effects in this are kind of cool given that they're er- very early computer effects i think they're actually pretty decent yeah and i think the visual like uh monster makeup's fine mm-hmm. um it's a very interesting take on what a vampire would look like not your typical thing yeah they're more monsterish yeah for sure they're more like bat-like, I guess, yeah. in their faces. And I do like Harvey Cattell in this. Yeah, he's good. Uh, I think Juliet Lewis is kind of always good in all these movies. I'm yeah. just, I, the, the other problem too is this was the third movie in like two weeks where we'd watch, or like a couple months, I guess, where we watched Juliet Lewis as like playing a 16-year-old being yeah, constantly always, sexualized. Yeah. And it's, no yeah, it's just, yeah, I wish she had played in more roles when she was not like a sex object teenager. It's kind of yeah. gross. <laughs> like Cape Fear. We watched yep. that in like the exact same And Natural Born Killers, uh, to a slightly lesser degree, that's not quite as sexual, I guess. Yeah, but. I'm sure she's like of age and all these and playing a younger role but still like this is weird (laughs) just weird Um, i was at least glad that george clooney didn't allow her to come with him at the end and become like his child bride i was like oh no when that was about to happen please don't let this happen george clooney is kind of just playing himself in this too i don't know did you like him he's okay it's definitely not like one of his best performances he talks really well but like (laughs) i don't know (laughs) Yeah, it's, it's, very it's okay. Um, so yeah, I don't know if I'd recommend it or not. <laughs> and I've never seen any of the other ones. There's like two or three other movies, and there's a series. Ugh. The, that movie, Ugh. the movie that one <laughs> no of the movies thanks. I worked on uh, a few years ago, a Lifetime movie. The director, that's where he came from, was the uh, the From Dust Till Dawn TV show. So yeah. Weird. So where would you? Let's rank these real quick. Oh, geez. As okay. if, whether or not you should watch them. <laughs> so I think True Romance and Natural Born Killers definitely Four Rooms, maybe? Yeah, I don't know whether I put Four Rooms or From Dust Till Dawn at the bottom of the I list I think I put From Dust... I don't I think know. From Dust Till Dawn is a more tied. accessible movie for, for your average person. Yeah. Four Rooms is a weird movie. Yeah. Really weird. <laughs> and, and the first half of it is real hard to get into because the first half are the two weakest segments, yeah. so... Just start with the other two first, and yeah. then if you're really into those, maybe branch out. <laughs> yeah. So if you're a Tarantino completionist, I mean, I mean, I enjoyed watching all four of these. It was, yeah. You know, but uh, especially given that we've watched like almost everything else lately, but uh, you know, it's a give and take. Yeah. They're not they're not nearly as good as his his uh, written and directed movies for sure. Definitely not. <laughs> All right, so that's it for this episode, but don't forget you can always see a list of all the movies we talked about on our Letterboxd, and you can also follow us on Twitter at Spliced Podcast or on Facebook at Spliced Together. Let us know what you have been watching during this crazy self-isolation quarantine coronavirus uh, 
thing that's happening to all of us right now. I hope you're all enjoying watching tons and tons of movies like we are. Um, so yeah, let us know what you're watching, but also let us know how you'd rank Tarantino's movies. What what are your favorites and least What's favorites? What's your number one? Yeah, what is your QT number one? Hashtag. Yeah. Um, so other than that, we'll see you guys on another episode of Splice, Splice Together. together. <laughs>